This is episode 54 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. I'm your host, Noah. Joining me is John Doe himself, Patrick O'Segan. Welcome. John, how did you do it? And I think we're all wondering, um, back from the dead to start off. And um, man, yeah. I, I have to say, just, it's an honor, sir. I mean, wow. All right, never mind. I'm kidding. It's Patrick O'Segan <laughs> here, know. everybody. I don't, I don't have a Kevin Spacey. And even if I did, I don't think I would do it. Yeah. All right. We got Patrick O'Seagan. Yep. I know we fooled you all. Um, and um, <laughs> we're here to talk about Seven, in case you didn't catch on to that. Um, Alien 3 was a rough movie to watch. But I have to say, I think we had a really great conversation out there. Bashing that movie was a real pleasure. Oh, and yeah. um, I think that we'll still have a very fun conversation talking about Seven, in, even though I'm going to say this is one of my all-time favorite movies. I mean, top five, just right off the bat. This is going to be a, a definitely a strong recommend for me. I'm not even going to try to sugarcoat that. I'm just going to gush love all over this movie uh, for, the, for however long this episode is. Um, but um, before we get into the movie, um, Patrick, what have you seen recently since we last talked with Alien 3? All right. Um, I saw Labyrinth, as I said I would, and it was pretty cheesy. Uh, <laughs> some of, I don't think it was as good as like the mainstream like Muppets, Jim Henson, and mm-hmm. uh, but there were some good moments. It, there was some wacky out there. Like there was this song about um, dance, magic dance. I think that's how the chorus goes. And it just kind of repeats. And then there's a segment of the song where David Bowie is like, then baby says, and then they like cut to like this baby. But he doesn't say anything. Okay. Like, he doesn't even say anything. There's like a baby says, and then they cut to the baby. Uh, and then they go back to dance, magic dance. And that was my favorite song in the <laughs> movie. Um, wow. Jennifer Connelly, uh, there's really no indication here of the great actress that she's going to become. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she's all right, I guess, but nothing special. Uh, I don't know why I had, like, really high expectations for this movie, but I did, and I was kind of disappointed. Um, <laughs> but then I watched Thelma and Louise, and that was awesome. Ridley Scott. Uh, all right, I did, it. too. Oh, I really? Did too. Perfect. So we could both talk about it, yeah. Sweet. What did you think of it? I had an absolute blast watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot different from other Ridley Scott movies. True. Um, but, you know, I was kind of going through his his filmography after watching this, and I was kind of like, you know, the guy really has made, like, we'll, we'll say, like, six, like, incredible, well-loved, instant classics. And then it seems like all his other movies – Mm-hmm. And uh, and I can happily say that Thelma and Luis goes into that that six or so. Yeah, um, it's a really fun movie. Um, one of the um, first Brad Pitt performances, which I really liked. Um, our two leading actresses here are really really good. They were nominated for this movie, and uh, I think I, I'm gonna say Jodie Foster won for Sons of the Lambs that year. Mm. Um, but um, and I, I agree with that decision. Jodie Foster was great in that movie. But I think it's it's still kind of skeptical that they didn't win. Uh, I think they're really great in this movie. The, the movie's just really fun. It's one of the best, I think, friendship movies 
I've ever seen. Uh, for me, this is one of Ridley Scott's best movies. I just had an absolute blast watching it. Yeah, I loved it too. Um, going back to your point about Ridley Scott, why do you think he's so inconsistent? Yeah, it's like I, I really lost on how to answer that because I think <laughs> you know if a Ridley Scott movie comes out, I'm still excited. Like, right. I feel like he has still been able to keep on to keep a hold of his big fan base. Yeah, yeah. But really, there's no guarantee the movie's going to be good. I mean, uh, the, what was that like? The Counselor. I mean, the last two Alien movies were not that well liked by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did have The Martian, which was a big success for him. Yeah. One of the all-time high, most well-respected sci-fi movies of the 21st century. So, you know, he really came back strong for for one movie. And it doesn't seem like he's kind of continued after that. But I still feel like the world just has a lot of respect for him. Mm-hmm. Um, just for kind of his, um, he has a lot of grit, I think. And I don't know if that's the right word, but like, he's able to get things done. Like he's kind of like a working man director. Absolutely. Like, I think there was, um, one of his movies, uh, Kevin Spacey was going to star in and they had already filmed a bunch of scenes, I think with Kevin Spacey and then, you know, all the, movies about Kevin Spacey started coming out and, you know, it just wasn't good publicity for them to um, have him in the movie. So they recast him with somebody else and Ridley Scott was able to finish the entire movie before the, um, the movie came out. And, you know, I think that just shows <laughs> just how, it, 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 especially not having as much time as he would have if they had kept Kevin Spacey, you know, I think even, I don't even know if that movie was that good, but I just admire that he was able to, get it done you know right. and, and it wasn't i haven't heard just awful things about that movie you know it was just decent and i feel like that's how a lot of his movies have been just kind of you know around the, the just a mediocre like three star section kind of fine you know they, they kill time but they're nowhere near as memorable as some of his older films like blade runner alien Thelma and louise you know mm-hmm. and that is unfortunate but i mean really scott i think he has like three movies coming out this year Really? Like that's yeah, and that's I don't know. Th- there are many directors who do that. I don't even <laughs> think there's been a director who's done that. And for that, I still admire him. But I also kind of I think a more cynical person would say he's just making a bunch of movies that are garbage. And I can totally see that side. Um, for me, though, I still have a lot of respect for him. I think he deserves a lot of respect. I mean, he is one of the most influential directors of of, of all time. I mean, he's made some really influential movies like Alien and Blade Runner. And even Thelma and Luis was really a influential movie for um, just um, uh, feminism and feminism and pro-women, you know? And I had a lot of respect for the movie, for that side of it as well. So he's, uh, he is a very um, influential director. I think he has still kept that going with The Martian, one of the, like, a very just grounded, smart sci-fi movie. I mean, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson said that was like the most accurate sci-fi movie ever, you know, and mm-hmm. of course, you know, if Ridley Scott's making it, you know, it's natural for him to really want to, I think, stick to that smart sci-fi, which is one of the reasons I love him so much as a director. I mean, Alien, uh, Blade Runner, smart sci-fi, I absolutely love, you know, and um, I still have a lot of respect for him, uh, but, you know, he has, like I said, he has made some pretty not-so-great movies. I forgot Gladiator as well, great movies Yeah, as Gladiator well. is awesome. 
it's weird that like to think about directors out there that haven't had those like great six movies they're still just like trying to figure out how to get like mm-hmm. out from under the studio enough to put their own vision out there like he yeah. started out that way and then kind of like lost it a little bit but man mm-hmm. someone might be out there that hasn't made their blade runner yet what'd you think of Thelma and Luis? it was awesome dude like you said it was a blast just a fun movie honestly like yeah i watched it with my parents and they both loved it my mom was super excited because mm-hmm. she saw it when she was like like whenever it first came out um yeah, yeah i love it i thought i uh, didn't else? know that uh no. michael madsen was in it so that was exciting i love him yeah i forgot brad pitt was in it i i i had read before like a few months ago when i was kind of going through some really scrap filmography for no reason and I saw that he was in it. Yeah. And I think this is one of the this and like true romance, like really kind of set uh Brad Pitt on his on the the ladder <laughs> to stardom. And then, you know, we got seven, which I think kind of really put him on just a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. And he's continued to um just exceed expectations, I mean, twenty years later. And we're gonna talk a lot about Pitt in this movie and I have a lot of a lot of things to say about him but um yeah that was a real surprise too and he is kind of slimy a bit in this movie but it's all he's also able to um keep a hold of that brad pitt charm where by the end of this you still kind of like him you know mm-hmm. like you don't really hate him where i feel like under a lesser actor you or maybe if it just wasn't brad pitt not saying that another another guy couldn't have done this role but a just because it's that brad pitt charisma yeah. kind of just eking through um, but I, I, he still was able to retain his likability. And one more thing before you continue with what you've seen, like this was one of those movies where I was like, how are, exactly are they going to end this movie? Because because every once in a while I'll be watching this really great movie, and I'm like, you know, I'm not really sure how they're going to close this movie off. Uh, that was the case with like Prisoners and Whiplash, like really great um, going. But I was kind of concern on how they're going to end it they ended really well um and Thelma and Luis did as well I, like they just ended on the perfect note and I was like just like really Scott still got it you know that he's able to really close the movie so well it was just really impressive um, yeah yeah unfortunately like I I knew the ending because I'd had it spoiled at some point um just, you know, like, that they drove off, well, spoiler alert, that they, like, drove off the cliff and everything. Like, I didn't know exactly yeah. how it all came together, but I had that mm-hmm. part already spoiled. So I, I knew, like, what we were heading towards, which is actually an, another, like, great way to watch it, too, actually. It's mm-hmm. good for rewatches. Um, yeah. And, you know, going back to Brad Pitt real quick, like, he definitely has, like, that signature charm that he brings to every character, but I was thinking about how, like, unique some of his characters are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, he's not the first name that you think of when you think of, like, a chameleon actor or, like, you know, you think of, I don't know, uh, um, what's his face? Jared Leto or, like, you know, Johnny Depp, someone like that. But he really does, mm-hmm. like, he... he uh, almost immediately brings a completely new character every time I see him, which is pretty awesome. Like, some of the greats, like Leonardo DiCaprio, honestly don't really do that. Like, the first time I see Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie, I always think to myself, okay, like, 
this is like not even a character like he's just doing like himself and he eventually gets into it but not the case with brad pitt he always automatically like locks into i don't know what it is i'll have to figure that out yeah he it really is incredible how he's able to like you know with oceans 11 like with that he's really playing he is kind of playing the 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 Brad Pitt role, you know, yeah. but he's also able to have roles like I would throw Moneyball in there, where mm. you know at the start of that movie I'm kind of like, yeah, it's it's Brad Pitt, oh my gosh, it's another Brad great Brad Pitt performance, and then you know that like five minutes in, you know that kind of wears off, and where I don't see Brad Pitt anymore, I see I see Billy Bean, mm. you know, and I think that's a really impressive thing that he's able to do uh, with you know with DiCaprio, you know, in The Aviator. Like that's a movie where I feel like he was trying to transform and just, it did not work for me at all. Like I, he, the accent, I didn't think he pulled off there very well, but at the same time, Brad Pitt's he, Leonardo DiCaprio is a fantastic actor. I, I personally am more of a Pitt fan than I am a DiCaprio fan. Uh, but two, I think they're two very different types of actors. Yeah, DiCaprio's accent is always weird. Like, it always throws me whenever I hear him. I'm like, okay, what, he's doing this now? Okay. Like, it just sounds like Leonardo DiCaprio doing an accent, which, I mean, obviously, that goes without saying, because it is. But, like, I don't know. There's there's a difference between an actor that, like, can immediately become a character and an actor that kind of, like, eases you into that character as the story unfolds and, like, Either way, they'll, like, hook you and get you involved in the character. But it's just interesting that they have different ways of going about it. Um, but anyway, I then I watched Lost in Translation off your recommendation because I was looking for some Bill Murray humor. And um, honestly, a little different than I was expecting. Not as funny mm-hmm. as I was expecting, like, laugh out loud funny, but definitely just, like, a great kind of, like, existentialist movie to just sit with. Uh, I watched it pretty late at night, so I was just kind of, like, chilling with these characters, enjoying Tokyo. Um, So that's awesome. Like, I thought that was – it seemed to be pretty much what that movie was for and about. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was the perfect time to watch it. Yeah. And uh, although I don't think Sofia Coppola is really going to blow me away ever with a movie (laughs) after this Mm -hmm. one. Um, And then I watched The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, um, really funny, um, uh, great acting all around. Martin Scorsese at the top of his game still, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I kind of want to watch uh, the one he did like two years ago. I forgot the name of it. The Irishman. Yeah. After this. I want to see that just because Al Pacino's in it. Like, he looks really <laughs> over the top of that movie. Like he's there's a line in the trailer that maybe I think where he's like there's things they don't know I know you know yeah. <laughs> and there's just like some I think there's gonna be some really great Pacino in there but also like I think that just the idea of that movie sounds really interesting to me. I'm just scared of the animation, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's really like I I've never heard anyone say that it looks bad. Right. But I I have watched the trailers. I've seen a few pieces of footage and I don't ever feel like I am watching young Robert De Niro. Right. I'm watching a younger version of, version of the character he's playing. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever really feel like Robert De Niro looks like he's in his 30s. I will say Al Pacino 
was I think he and Joe Pesci might have been. I feel like I saw a few scenes with them where they looked like they uh, were younger, mm-hmm. like absolutely. But Robert De Niro, he looks like he's just got his hair dyed and a few wrinkles taken out. Yeah. You know, it still feels like he's in his 50s a lot in that movie. Like not even though he is old in that. It does still. He never really like. I feel like in the in the story of the Irishman, I feel like this guy's in his like thirties or forties or, or something around that. And I don't feel like Robert De Niro ever looked like that in the movie. But it, I I do think it's impressive because for the clips I've seen, it doesn't look bad. I, I'm hoping that the acting and story are so good that well, that's not going to be one of my biggest concerns or, or or one of my biggest quarrels with the movie if I ever do see it. Yeah, same here. Um, that's just why I haven't watched it up till now because I was like, oh, dude, what if I'm stuck with this three-hour runtime and I'm just like terrified. Three hours and 20 minutes. Godfather length. I mean, look, Martin Scorsese can hold my attention for that long, but like, if he's holding my attention with these weird CGI faces, I don't know, man. I don't know. (laughs) Even if it is Robert De Niro underneath it all. Um, But anyway, that's, that's what I watched recently. What did you watch, sir? Well, Patrick, you implored me to go watch the Michael Mann movie that Drive was so much taken from. I begged you from. on hands and knees. Even though you just you just didn't have the guts to go see it yourself. <laughs> I did. I took the bullet. But it wasn't a bullet, actually. I, the movie, I believe, is called Thief, and, um, which I think is the movie you were referring to. Um, and um, there were many Drive-isms in the movie. Uh, that that you could see Nicholas Winding Refn probably took a few things from, but the two main characters are totally different. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan Gosling lives by his kind of his own um, set of rules, kind of just really restricted on what he's willing to do. And James Caan in the movie is a lot is kind of lives by a, a much different philosophy than uh, he does. Uh, the Ryan Gosling doesn't drive. And I would say Thief is on par with Drive. Um, and I like Drive. It's not like, for me, it is an incredible, it is an incredible movie, though. I think it's, an, it's incredibly looking, but it's not, I don't think it's an incredible movie. And I feel like the same way with um, Thief, you know, after Collateral and Heat, Thief was actually more highly rated than Collateral. And I didn't like it as much as Collateral, Um there were a few things about Thief where I just wasn't as engaged, but there's some really great moments. Uh, Michael Mann is just so great at writing characters, and that continues here. He's able to just really think outside the box in such great ways. And so I really enjoyed Thief, and it looks really good. But, I mean, it's no heat or collateral for me. But I will give it a recommend for sure. I mean, I think it, 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 it doesn't, it's in style. It's not like Drive. But it, but it, many of the themes I think in that movie are do kind of carry over and are taken from in different ways. Even though James Caan is not a um, uh, is not a getaway driver. Yeah. But um, I di- also saw another Michael Mann movie. I saw The Insider, starring Al Pacino and Russell Crowe, which is one of the other big man movies I was wanting to see. And um, I think it was better than Thief, but wasn't as good as Collateral and Heat. Uh, Al Pacino, Russell Crowe, fantastic this movie. This is about um, a um, fired tobacco executive who knows some things about the tobacco industry, about um, how they're 
how it's unhealthy and the um and 60 minutes is going to try to break that story this is based on a true story and um i i thought this was actually this uh, on a factual level was fascinating to watch you know because i i take the uh tobacco and smoking uh those being unhealthy substances i take that very seriously and to see this movie deal with that uh i i had a lot of respect for and i think it executed it really well um there's some really thrilling moments there even though it's not quite as like not that that blood pumping level that even thief had or heat or collateral it's much more uh, much more um straightforward not as um action-packed or anything like that but there's some really just cool Pacino moments in there Christopher Plummer's in it he's good um so there's some really great acting the direction's really cool it's the one historically based movie where I've ever seen them admit that they did exaggerate some things or things were left unknown like we did shift a few things and I've never seen a, an, a movie based on actually events ever do that before but um, that was really neat to see um, so I would also give The Insider a recommend as well um, and then I saw Memento Patrick which um, I put on my five movies I wanted to see soon in our last episode and in that episode you had kind of expressed um some of your uneasiness with Memento that you, it, I believe, represented everything you didn't like about Christopher Nolan, is I believe along the lines of what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for me, I was a little nervous going in, but I was also really excited because this is the biggest Nolan movie that I haven't seen yet. I only have one more to see after this now following. As for my thoughts on Memento, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. Um, it, I, for me, this is for me some of the best things I like about Nolan. Um, I think some of his most clever writing is at work here. I just love the way this movie is edited, the way it's written, the way it's put together as a mystery, yet outside of the box in every way. It's super confusing for like the first half, and then when you think you've got it you realize you don't got it. And it's just (laughs) the way Nolan's able to keep you moving is just so great. You know, the biggest kind of nitpick I have this movie is, um, is Guy Pierce, you know, like I like him this movie. I don't think I disliked him as much as you did, but I do feel like there's a actor out there who could do this role better. I would actually throw in like Brad Pitt, like, I feel like he might be able to do this movie better. But also, Guy Pierce has that kind of, um, that instant, uh, feels like a hero, but you don't entirely trust him thing, yeah. which um, I think Pritt would have to work a little bit more to get that image. And I, for me, you know, Guy Pierce not being an actor I really love kind of instantly sets in that, sets into that uh, role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought he was fine here. He wasn't great. I did like many of the side performances, especially the guy who played as Teddy. Mm. Uh, I, I, for me, just the best line of the movie is when he goes like, Lenny! You know, <laughs> really underrated part of that movie is him going Lenny. Uh, but I really liked him, too. It's one of my favorite Nolan movies. I'd probably say, I'd put it in the Nolan trifecta, or, I don't know. I don't know if this is better or worse than Interstellar. Um, but for me, it goes in 
it's one of the for me it's one of the best Nolan movies I've seen. Um, so I've got to respectfully disagree, Patrick. Um, but I do I will say that um, I understand your your quarrels with this movie. It's a very it's a very outside the box movie, and I think that's going to work for some people and not work in some cases. Yeah, uh, so I, mean, I do. I, I love like the way it was set up. It was just the ending that was so frustrating. Like it's just kind of disappointing to go through that whole process and then end it like that. Like I'm not going to say what the ending was, but like I love the ending. Why? <laughs> what's what's the love? I just don't understand. Just. Yeah, if we could do a minute, two minute spoiler talk, we'd do it right, right now. But let's unfortunately, do it. Let's do it. spoiler right now. Let's Starting do it. Right All right, fast forward. We'll do two minutes. Two minutes of memento spoilers. And I'm gonna set a timer right now. Here we go. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go in three, two, one. So fast forward two minutes if you haven't seen memento. All right, here we go. So basically. The ending of Memento is that Guy Pierce. Here's what works for me about this ending: is that Guy Pierce. It no, yeah, Guy Pierce. Right, I forgot his name for a second. He is kind of for me how I took this ending was the, the biggest part of this that worked for me is that he is now setting up the entire rest of the movie, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It, if you understand what I'm saying, and that he is kind of just either living in this fantasy or something like that, and that really worked for me. Uh, and that he's too attached to this to this case or whatever, and that kind of everything that he is necessarily believed is kind of disrupted, and that's all changed in such a drastic way. And for me, that's just great Nolan writing. And that's what I liked about so much is that he is kind of really pulling a bad move here, where this is not really a morally right decision. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like that. But well, um, here's, what, what about this thing did not work? Here's my problem with it, okay? So go back to the beginning of the movie, right? Which is, you know, technically the ending, whatever. Okay? What do we <laughs> learn right at the start of the movie? That he kills Teddy, and we don't know right. why. Okay. Right. What do we find out by the end of the movie? He kills Teddy, and we don't really know why. He just does it out of spite, basically. Well, if you put it like that, Patrick, I mean, I'm not really sure screen. how that's, to defend it. That's that why way. I was sitting there like, oh, okay, that's the ending. Like, it's just like, I like all the questions he was asking throughout the movie, and I feel like some of the things fall into place. But there's so many parts of the plot where Nolan is just kind of like, we don't know because I'm putting you in the character's shoes and he doesn't know. And it's like, okay, good on paper, but like, it's not a satisfying experience. Like, I get that it's like that interesting, unsatisfying, like, kind of like Inception, except with Inception, Mm -hmm. like, you can fill in the blanks a lot more yourself. With Memento, it's kind of like, what is even the point of filling in the blanks? There's not even enough clues to like let you in on the facts. You know what I mean? Like Inception, there's multiple ways you can look at it. Yeah, I, I understand your I understand your point. And I'm gonna say that 
I do see that on the surface, just kind of him doing this to spite Teddy will kind of be a a bit of a, I guess on paper that, for me on paper, that doesn't sound like a great idea, but for me, it's the reasons why he kills Teddy that I think this is so interesting and that everything is disrupted for him. And that's what I really like about it. I, I think it just, I don't know, something about it, it just really ended in a really, just for me, this was a pretty mind blowing ending, but our two minutes is up. We're going to have to just agree to disagree in that. We'll talk about it in that Nolan retrospective we're going to have to yeah. do it at some point. But all right, I'll keep going. I saw a ghost story directed by David Lowry starring Casey Affleck and Rudy Mara. This is on Netflix um, and really short hour and a half movie. And um, I had heard some really good things. And, um, you know, David Lowry, he's going to have um, The Green Knight this year, which is my most anticipated movie of 2021. And this was kind of the movie that I think got many other people excited for The Green Knight. So I decided to check it out because I'm assuming the Pete's Dragon isn't the reason why people are excited. For the Green Knight. <laughs> I don't know. It got the um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so I really like a lot of things about the ghost story. But I, also, there's this cynical side of me that's saying it's a very depressing movie. And I don't think it justifies it being depressing. I don't really feel like the movie has made some sort of point. It's had some sort of overarching, powerful mm. theme. And for me, I think a movie really has to give me a reason why to, to like it, if they're going to make it depressing. Because, right. I mean, Casey, this isn't a spoiler. Casey Affleck dies five minutes into the movie. It is a ghost for the rest of the movie. And watching kind of just the world forget about him. And a lot. I, the thing that I took about it was what you leave behind. And there's this scene that's kind of like to really sum all that up. And it's not a very, I didn't think it was a very well-written scene. Um, it's its very um, on the nose. Like this is literally what it is. It's these like, these college people like go into this house and are partying. And there's this one like philosophy guy who was just like talking about how eventually everything's going to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like it's like he's writing some sort of college essay here, and that was, I think, some of the dialogue for that scene. It's kind of snappy, but it's a really just on the nose scene in a pretty negative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are so many other great things about this movie. I, I'm gonna stick with an eight out of ten. Whoa! I just really, I really love the um, visuals. This movie, the directing, is astounding. Um, it's a, it's really great directing. Just there's some, even though in many ways this movie failed to really emotionally impact me, there's some just shots in this movie that really got to me. Mm. Just there's, it's weird to me that Lowry's able to just give us a frame that is really impactful, but is kind of having this whole scene that really isn't. And I'm, I'm very interested in seeing what other people think of this movie because I've heard some people really like it, some people really don't. There's a, I, I swear, eight-minute scene of Rudy Mara eating. <laughs> eight minutes. And it's all one shot. No cuts. She's eating a pie on the floor for eight minutes, and it's really depressing. Nice. Um, she, it's, it's, it's kind of grieving, you know? And um, that is, 
if that sounds interesting to you, you're going to like this movie. That sounded interesting to me. I had heard about that scene. I was like, you know what? I probably need to see this movie. So I did. And that was kind of the scene that really got me on board to mm. watch it. Um, and that that scene I thought was pretty effective for the meaning behind it. Yeah. Um, but by the end of this movie, I just didn't feel that wow, even though I'd enjoyed many things about the movie. Mm. So it's definitely a really solid recommend. I, I, th- I think people should check it out. I really liked it. Like I, I'm getting quite a few negatives here, but it, those are just making my negatives mentioned and heard. But there's a lot to like about this movie. And, you know, Rooney Mara's performance, she's not in this as much as I thought she was going to be, but she's good in the scenes she has. Uh, and I think just, I don't know, the idea of like Casey Affleck walking around with a sheet over his head with, as a ghost was pretty, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, I like that. <laughs> I liked it. Um, so Ghost Story, recommend it. I think people should see this movie before they see The Green Knight, just kind of as a, uh, get a taste of what you're going into with Lowry, because this is a lot different from Pete's Dragon in mm. many ways. I bet The Green Knight um, would be a lot I'll be quick too. on yeah, I, I do agree. Um, I also saw The Dark Crystal. Um, you kind of brought up Frank Oz and Jim Henson when you mm-hmm. were talking about um, Labyrinth. This is by Frank Oz and Jim Henson. And I did not like <laughs> it. I'm a big Muppet fan, Patrick. But this has some really great looking... It's really a great looking movie. But with, with, uh, story-wise, this movie is just not interesting. It, it is really not impactful at all. The um, voice cast really wasn't that it wasn't that good. Our hero is kind of lame. It's really generic writing to the point where it's just a really uninteresting movie to watch. And the world-building wasn't as cool as I was hoping it would be. Um, and one of the parts about the Muppets I love so much is how kind of um, winking at the audience mm. it is. Um and um, there isn't anything about that with the Dark Crystal. I'm not asking it to break the fourth wall, but to give me a little, put a little spice in there to make it a little more interesting. And this movie just didn't add that mm. spice. And um, it was a little, a little disappointing, I'll have to say. It, kind of a weak not recommend. Some great visuals, but really um, fell flat for me. Um, so I guess if you're a big Jim Henson and Frank Oz fan, you'll enjoy this. This has a pretty solid rating. Um, I personally just really didn't connect with it, though. Um, all right, I got two more here. I saw L.A. Confidential, starring Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, and Guy Pierce. Um, you know, seeing Guy Pierce again. Um, Kevin Spacey, we're going to talk about him a little bit. Uh, I think he's really good in this. Really solid. Russell Crowe is the best, though. Really, really liked him in this movie. Uh, I like the way his character's written. This is a... Uh, I love the style of this movie. Very reminiscent to older um, police detective movies. Um, but also felt innovative and had a lot of twists and turns in the script that I liked. Um, in some areas, it did kind of fail to impress me. Some characters... I didn't like Guy Pierce especially <laughs> is fine in this movie, but I really just disliked his character a lot. Like, like have you seen all the confidential Patrick? Yeah, I'm not a fan. Well, I, okay, so I liked it, but the end of this movie, spoiler for like five seconds, guys. <laughs> 
Guy Pierce kind of walks off with Russell Crowe in the car, all bruised and beaten up with the kind of the damsel of the movie. And that did not sit well with me <laughs> at all. Because um, Russell Crowe is kind of my guy, and Guy Pierce is a real prick in this movie. And that was really, not for me, not a very smart decision. Um, I did not like that choice. It, it, just the way it ends was really unsatisfying hey, to me. At um, <laughs> All right, we're we're pe- that that bridge is over. We we've passed that. No, this it's directly done. relates. But That's yeah, how I Elliot- felt at the end of Memento. Yeah, man, this the the LA Confidential. I was a really I think a solid movie up until that point. Just really left a sour taste mm-hmm. in my mouth. It it just was not the right way to the right way to go. And I think really Memento is is a great movie with despite Guy Pierce. And Guy Pierce, this movie isn't as and as good as Memento in my mind, and it's kind of oh, Guy Pierce burdens it a lot more for me. I think he has a really cool look in this movie, like, uh, like just the, the. I think his character is kind of okay. Like <laughs> I, I see a version of this character working, but guy pierce just really made the character fall flat for me that was unfortunate um so i would give la confidential a solid recommend just like don't watch the last five <laughs> minutes <laughs> um i all right one more i saw before sunset uh with ethan hawk um and i had some high expectations yeah it's the greatest in. movie ever high yeah that is what i had was i had heard going in <laughs> Let me say it didn't meet those mm. expectations. Um, I thought this was a, a good movie, not a great movie. And, you know, people have asked me a few times before, like, you know, oh, what do you like? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a movie fan. Oh, what's your favorite genre? I'm like, well, for me, it doesn't matter. I just want the movie to be good. I'm kind of wondering if I should still say that because maybe romance movies just mm. aren't my thing. And I really felt like, though, that this was a lot different from other romance movies. It does feel like a – I read a review and just put it perfectly for me. It feels like a foreign movie with that's talking English, you know, <laughs> it, but really has no American themes at all. And I, that's not why I'm holding – that's not a thing I'm holding against the movie at all. I, I like that about mm-hmm. the movie. But these characters, I think, are really well-written, but totally – uninteresting and kind of <laughs> at times especially um our leading lady here whose name i am currently julie delphi um yeah julie delphi i think she's good in this movie her character though it was really she annoying sometimes just really got under my skin and i've heard it before midnight yeah. she's awful um and I'm still kind of holding on to Before Sunset. So let me, a little story. This, maybe this will tell you about my little IQ here. <laughs> but there's Before Sunrise before and Before Sunset. And I thought Before Sunrise was the first movie. So I'm, tur- I'm popping it in on HBO Max. I click Before Sunrise, the second movie of the series. And I get... 20 minutes in, and I'm like, wait, Ethan Hawke looks a little older than I thought he was going to. And then, I, and then I noticed, hey, they're referencing a lot of stuff that happened in the past. 
Am I watching it right now? Oh, no! It's before sunset. So I just turn it off and just watch before sunrise. So that was how I kind of started off. It's so, like, stuff is happening. And people are like, oh, yeah, that's kind of the stuff they were talking <laughs> about in the first 20 minutes of before, sun, before sunrise. Oh! Um, let me say, I like a lot of things about this movie. Um, it's. I think just the way it's structured, I think is really cool. The um, just not really a story, just people kind of talking, you know, and they're able to make that captivating. There's some really powerful scenes in this movie, particularly a scene with a a bum who writes them a poet, a a, po- a, a piece of poetry. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was a really cool scene. There's many other scenes like that. These characters that this is kind of. This, these, are, these are kind of characters who have always kind of wanted to talk like, you know, referencing a bunch of highly high form art, like, you know, Shakespeare and just really fancy writing, you know, Vienna, Rome, all of that type <laughs> of stuff that I've never really been that interested in. I know some people like this and they can get under my skin a little bit sometimes too, even though I'm able to to put that aside at, at times. This is just it's it's a lot of that throughout the movie, and this reminded me a lot of uh, Midnight in Paris mm-hmm. with um um Owen yeah. uh, Owen Wilson, or, right? Yeah, um, and um, that that was also kind of something where just through the really high references, really just didn't interest me. I haven't seen that movie, but I've from what I've read, seen trailers and stuff. It's it's at that level where it's just a, a, a side of art that I'm really just not interested in. I'm really passionate about art, but that was that's one of those signs that I have a lot of respect for, but I'm just, it feels what, really what pretentious. And about? this movie has... Hmm, I, I'm trying to think of a specific thing here. All right, how about this? Dropping, having really deep philosophical, philosophical discussions out of nowhere—that type of art, referencing, um, just kind of philosophers and things like that—just is always something that has never interested me personally, and that is a lot of that in this movie, uh, like a whole lot, just a lot of really deep, um philosophical discussions and 50% of them work and the other 50% didn't for me. They aren't bad, just uninteresting. And I don't know if I'm building my case very well. I like this movie. There's just a few problems I have with it. And I understand the um, demographic this movie's going for. It just feels very niche to me, um, what, the demographic. What demographic and it's going for? An, The people who have philosoph- who just all of a sudden have philosophical discussions <laughs> out of nowhere. That audience. Um, but, and you know, this really just didn't have like that, um, really it, was, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was a lot more um, artsy than I thought it was going to be. And I respect the movie for that, that it isn't kind of just some rom-com type of thing, which I like. Um, so I do like this movie. I'd give it a seven out of 10. Um, there's just a few things about where it felt a little pretentious. If I had to sum up before sunset in one word, it'd be pretentious a little bit. Just a little pretentious. 
Um, it is. It's a fine movie though. Just didn't live up to my expectations. That's all, guys. That's all. Don't be. Hating. I definitely don't be hating. I definitely get your I point think... about it being pretty pretentious ahead, because it can be up there, like on the pretentious scale. But um, for me, the performances hold out. I really like Ethan Hawke. So like, Love yeah. I mean, just watching sure, yeah. Ethan Hawke talk is like enough for me for some movies. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I do. Yeah. Kind of like the. Some of the philosophy, I don't really remember what themes they're talking about in that movie, but a lot of it's probably like love or like life or like missed opportunities and that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of it is long distance relationships yeah. not working. That's the big mm-hmm. theme. I so got it from. is kind of like flirtatious too. like they're feeling each other out while they're discussing this philosophy, which is fun to watch. But I get what you're saying. Like, it's not really like, um, it's not like something you want to watch every day. Yeah, yeah. I'm still gonna stick with the trilogy though. I'll finish before sunrise. I've heard some people say that's even that's better. Um, what do you? No, oh, that's, is that sorry. A, that was a neutral. Like, you disagree? I don't want to influence your opinion. Oh, okay. Okay, all right. Um, that's my last one. Before sunset. Solid movie. Solid movie. Um. All right, enough of all that. Let's talk about Seven, David Fincher. Um, so, Alien 3, um, not great. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. Um, not the best movie in the world. Certainly but, not the worst. Um, certain, certainly not the worst, certainly not the worst. Um, <laughs> yeah, not I can't think though. of a worse one um, right now, and... but <laughs> there's got to be something worse yeah. out there. <laughs> Oh, Batman oh, and Robin, true. anyone? Batman and Robin. I'll, I'll just I don't know. That, that one one's got there. kind of uh, charming rewatchability to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, for me, the seven. Kind of like, I, I, really, I, I didn't really know what to expect for seven going in. I had heard some really great things when I first saw it. This is my third time seeing it. And um, I will say, one of the great things about this movie, just kind of right off the bat, is. It's incredibly <laughs> disturbing, but infinitely rewatchable. Like, I don't think Seven's never hasn't gotten old mm-hmm. for me so far. Like, n- the moments that are that sting the first viewing still sting. And obviously, you know, let me just say, like, the final 30 minutes of Seven are my personally, are personally the best 30 minutes of a movie ever. It's like a 30 minute stretch. I don't think there's been a better one. And secondly, there is not another film-going experience than the final, like, you won't be just, I've never been more shocked than the final 30 minutes of Seven, just completely floored, you know? And and that, there's, it's such a gut punch. And I don't, I don't think that there's been a movie like that. That's just been, oh my gosh, you know, just, is, is, the movie is so strong throughout, and the final 30 minutes of the movie are the best. I think that just shows how great this movie is. And for me, this ending still had some of that. It still stung. Like, the, even, and I think in some ways you have an experience that you didn't have on the first viewing, which is dreading when you, what you know is going to come. Yeah. You know? That was something that just brought a whole different look to the movie for me. It's just the dread now that you know what's coming. 
and you kind of have scenes with Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, just wait till the end, man, you know, and yeah, this movie was unlike anything I'd ever seen the first time I saw it, and has set me on the um, the path to the Fincher fan that I am today. Um, and uh, I think it's one of the all-time great movies. Uh, I, I don't think there's there's I don't think it's a movie like this. You know. Yeah. Um, this is my second time to watch it. Um, it I I loved it the first time. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I loved it this time still. I mean, it didn't yeah. change. It's still a great movie. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll get into why it's so great as we go through it. But like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm probably just gonna be mirroring you because. Um, like, I agree. Like, it's a great movie. It's got amazing moments throughout. Great characters, um, which is something I was really struck by the second time I watched it because I didn't have to really worry about the story or knowing what was going to happen. I just wanted to get inside these characters, and they're really like, there's a lot of meat there to get inside. So, it's a, uh, it's pretty, pretty mm-hmm. great. Yeah, before we get into the scenes and all of that, let's give a little precap here where Fincher was at, because we're here talking about Fincher. So he had wrapped up Alien 3, was really stung, um, has spoke many times after making Alien 3, he didn't want to make a movie, a single movie again. He went back to shooting commercials, music videos for a little while. And um, then he was given a script um, by um, Andrew Kevin Walker, uh, which is, uh, I think this is a great script, oh, yeah. by the way. Um, he hasn't really done much else, though. He did make Sleepy Hollow great movie. Uh, by Tim Burton, which I've heard <laughs> good things. I've heard good things, yeah. And then he made 8mm by Joel Schumacher, which um, I've heard there are fans. I don't know if that's <laughs> a good movie, though. It, it's kind of that type of movie. It stars Nicolas Cage, just mm. about your alley. Yeah, I think I almost watched that um, movie the other day just because it had Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, well, the the guy hasn't really gone to do many other great things. There's there's a lot of other duds and there that I didn't mention. Um, those are just kind of the two more noticeable ones. Um, and he got the script, and then, you know, there's also they were all, I believe they were also considering Guillermo del Toro for this that movie. That would have been weird. And um, that would have been a completely different movie. Yeah, I, I honestly like that's an interesting movie, but Maybe I don't know the if that's a good movie. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Fincher signs on, makes the movie. It's a big success at the box office, um, bigger than I actually thought it was. Um, I don't have the number in front of me right now, uh, but was I believe snubbed massively mm. at the Oscars, massively. Only one for best film editing. That's it. I, I, I don't think it won. I think it was nominated. The I mean, let's. I mean, let me say what I think this movie should have been nominated for. I think our three leads here, flat out, should have been given nominations. I mean. That is such a crime, guys. They didn't get a nomination. I mean, Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman. This is my favorite Morgan Freeman performance. This is my uh, one of my favorite Brad Pitt performances. This is Kevin Spacey, given one of my all-time favorite performances as one of the best villains in a movie ever, as John Doe. Instant iconic. I would put Winnie Paltrow up there, too. And the fact that Fincher... Yeah, I, yeah, I was about to say, I mean... 
I would I would totally go for giving Paltrow the the nomination for this movie as well. I mean, she's great in this movie. Um, the fact that Fincher didn't get nominated is an absolute travesty. Um, this is one of the best directing jobs I've seen, and the fact that he get, didn't get nominated is just—I mean, just a testament to just how messed up the Oscars are sometimes. Um, and you can't even say this was under the radar because this was a big hit. I mean, this really made people talk about it you know this is a movie that you leave the theater and you don't say anything for a little while but kind of halfway through the car ride you're like well that was something wasn't it you know whether you like the movie or not you've got something to talk about here and the script fantastic the score by howard shore underrated Mm -hmm. such a great score for this movie really helped really helps fincher and the uh and walker get under your skin uh really really effective I think this movie just got snubbed drastically. The editing as well. I do think the editing for this movie is great. It does. It never feels slow. Um, the tension it builds up rapidly, um, and uh, yeah, I think this was a massive snub. I mean, what just one of the a Hall of Famer for one of the biggest Oscar mistakes. In I my mean, opinion. Uh, I don't know if I voiced this on the podcast, but yeah, I I gave up on the Academy a long time ago. Like, there's countless. Uh, yeah. reasons and examples that we could point to and this is yeah. obviously like chief among them one of it's like now recognized yeah. as one of the greatest movies of all time and like said, like completely oh, yeah. completely snubbed almost on almost every level yeah yeah and also just like Fincher I think as a director is one of the most influential most respected directors out there, but is one of the most underrated ever. I mean, this movie does really well. Then I believe after this, we've got The Game, right? That's our next Fincher movie. And I think that movie did well. Then he does Fight Club, bombed at the box office, did not do good. Then he has, then he made Zodiac, we're going to skip Panic Room because I don't know as much about the behind the scenes on that one. Makes Zodiac bombs at the box office as well. I mean, this guy just is so well-respected and people don't show up to go see his sneaking movies. Like, how can you have the run of seven fight clubs <laughs> we'll skip the game? Because I, I I, don't know. Well, I, that's not saying my thoughts, but that's a controversial one, yeah. so I won't reveal my thoughts on that. But we'll, Fight Club's obviously going to be one that I think I'm, I'm going to like a lot. Um, and then how do you not show up for Zodiac? I mean, that's just, it's mind-blowing to me. He did make Gone Girl, which is his biggest success. And let's not forget the bomb of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is just, man, that makes, that's the (laughs) one that makes me the most mad. Because that, and I'll get into it, that, that just really just ticks me off, man, that that movie did so badly. But yeah, and then even Mank, only and you know this depends on how much you trust Netflix's top five. I don't trust it at all, but there's got to be some facts to it where it barely lasted mm-hmm. on Netflix's top five for a while, and I feel like two weeks went by and people forgot about it. You know, it's just and maybe that has something to say about Mank. I think there are some things to talk about with that movie. A, a few yeah, nitpicks. Yeah, people didn't really like it, but from, um, from as far as I can tell, yeah. Yeah, still, it still feels though that Fincher's name deserves more of a hmm. cultural impact than it seems to be having. You know, 
And um, I, I'm just really grateful that this movie did well, you know, because I think if it didn't, um, we wouldn't have Zodiac, Fight Club, or Gone Girl. Um, but anyway, let's get into it. We start off um, just kind of, I have to say, I, did, I really picked up on this about third being. This is a really abrupt start to the movie. Like, um, and just our first shot, we're just kind of seeing Morgan Freeman. I think he's like washing his hands and stuff. It's not really a very, um, like a memorable opening shot. But I think this serves as a really great opening to these characters uh, because this crime relates to no way to anything that's going to happen in this movie. This is really just to show us about these characters. You know, we instantly just kind of feel, by the way, everything is set up in Morgan Freeman's apartment here. Um, that just you, you instantly kind of get a feel about what is what his character is like. Um, and kind of throughout the rest of this scene, him detecting... The, detecting this murder um you kind of see that he doesn't have a good relationship with some of the other detectives um and then brad pitt comes in a little cocky but um let's go ahead and talk about these performances just right off the bat get them out of the way um let's start off with morgan freeman here all this is my all-time favorite morgan freeman performance um and so such a um it's like, what are the big snubs, obviously. Also, what are the best detectives in a movie? The, um, Somerset is such a realistic character. You buy his weariness. And we have had weary detectives before, but Somerset feels so fresh. Just completely outside the box, no pun intended. Um, even though many of the skeleton is very similar to many tropes, but Fincher makes it feel so fresh. And I think Freeman is fantastic. I think Brad Pitt gets labeled as kind of the main protagonist of the movie. But for me, Morgan Freeman is the one holding it together in, in this cast here. He, he's a lot more subtle than Pitt is and, and spacey. But just his quietness and um, calm and collected. Um, he, he, I think he holds this movie together really, really well. And I think Fincher is one of the best character writers of all time. I don't think he's made a really a bad character. Um, he, he's able to just craft him in, in such a great way. I, I just love how he does it. And Freeman, I think, is one of his best, uh, or Somerset, just one of his best characters. I, this is one of the most iconic detectives ever for me. And I love Freeman in this role. I think he's great throughout. Um, he never has a false Yeah, I... It's interesting. I really was thinking of him as the protagonist throughout the movie. Like, um, it, it's his perspective on everything that the audience is identifying with. And mm -hmm. he kind of, like, we don't really know much about this city. We don't know what it's called or anything. So every a lot of the information we get about the city is just through uh, Morgan Freeman's experience. You know, it's Somerset's experience that we are yeah. getting through his performance and that like builds up the whole ethos around the entire city. So like kudos to him, big props. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, you talk about the city, just one of the best, like this places in a movie, not to, I don't want to really <laughs> go here, but it's just one of the best, like the mood and setting of this movie is just brilliant it is the best i've seen i mean just 
I think the decision to not name the city is a brilliant move. It's just really, I mean, just call it hell, you know, it's hell on earth. And you, there's, that's a, I think a term that gets thrown around a little too much, but I mean, it totally applies to seven. It feels grounded. It feels realistic, but there is just, it instantly just gets under your skin where this is such an, you buy this such an unpleasant place. It's raining constantly on these, on these, um, detectives it's like uh, someone said this once and i think this really rings true it, it's like god is just punishing them just this constant rain They're not light rain. it's beating on them you know just yeah. it's like it's punishment and I, it's just fantastic just um this movie was filmed in la i think the the movie like as far as the way the city looks it looks good it's it's constantly dirty i think we really see a clean place in this movie it's just a constantly dirty movie um to to watch but so well filmed i mean it, it's just shot brilliantly by fincher here I, it's one of the for me this is one of the best like places in a movie as far as writing and all that goes. yeah it's a it's a perfect setting for such a dark um film i think david fincher gets a lot of credit for the atmosphere around here mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. And I also think they really, I don't think they ever take this too over the top, you know? Like, we don't really have any, like, drunk bums on the street, like, yelling at women or anything like that. Because that's kind of where I would kind of go, like, oh, because th- that's such a trope, you know? And I think if P- Fincher put that in here too blatantly, mm-hmm. that I wouldn't go with this as much. Just things like that. But this feels like, but Fincher really hits the realism nowhere. Everyone's just inside. You know, there's not a lot of people walking around here. Everyone's inside, kind of secluded, you know, not a lot of people are outside. And I think that that really strikes the perfect realism, though. You know, it's not even type of, the type of bad where, like, there's just, like, rich people kind of ruling the streets, you know, kind of Wall Street type of stuff. It's really just, just everyone's kind of not really wanting to live here by choice or it's just they were born here and can't really move out. I mean, you don't get that anybody really yeah, wants to be the, here. The scariest thing about the city, beyond just the fact that, like, everyone is so depressed and, like, hates being there, is, like, especially once we get into, like, the murder and the mystery of it, like, the amount of, um, like, anonymity that individuals in this city can maintain is terrifying like and like fincher really hammers his home there's Mm -hmm. multiple shots where like there'll be a character on the street selling a newspaper for example and like he the shot has his head cut off so you don't see who it is and like you know it's not the murder or anybody it's literally it's nobody but like the just the fact that you know you can just pass this person by and you know nothing about their story. And then the, the story that is unfolding is about this character who has done so much because of the anonymity that he has in this city and so much evil, um, really creepy. And it's one, I think it's one of the strongest points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really gets down to the bar scene in the movie, which we won't talk about too much, but really kind of sums up, the biggest problem about the city is that nobody really cares. You know, it's just we've chosen to just be passive to all of this. And Spacey's going to make that a big point for him in the movie. And we can't take it from him. He's 100% right. And that's what hurts so much about John Doe in this movie. And I also think um, 
Freeman is a really underrated monologue in this movie where he's talking about a guy that was mugged, shot or hit, stabbed in the eyes and just kind of read it in like probably on like page, like one of the last pages of the newspaper, you know, mm-hmm. just was ba- just brushed over where if that happened um, in one of the bigger cities, you know, just not a, a place anywhere but this place that would probably perk up some attention, you know, and nobody seems to care about it. Like that's one of those, the big, one of my favorite parts of one of the, I think the best Somerset moments is that monologue. Cause that's really like, I think the, um, what is it? The commissioner here? Um, really, he doesn't want, he, he doesn't seem to want Somerset to go, but I mean, when he, when Freeman gives that little monologue, I mean, you can't deny him that. I mean, who would want to stay in a place that, treats such violence like that you know that's you you made an excellent point there just that the passiveness to all of this violence and just dirtiness is really kind of the ultimate crime of the city too is awesome Um, because it's just so senseless like you've robbed him like you've you've shot him you've robbed him and now you're gonna stab him in the eyes like why like doesn't make any sense and that's like somerset says it. he's like i don't understand this place anymore and then the great dialogue so i'm just mm-hmm. gonna give it verbatim the chief is like it's always been that way and he's like maybe yeah <laughs> but it's just too much for him at this point it's just been <laughs> worn down yeah yeah and All let's right. get to brad pitt as well who you kind of mentioned freeman i feel like is very much the lead of this movie but you know i think brad pitt's just stardom has kind of made it feel like Pitt's the main character here. I mean, he's listed number one here, uh, at least on the cast on Letterboxd. But I think in the credits, he's Freeman's listed first. Um, but um, for me, this is one of the pit of Pitt's more um, um, toned down, more chameleon-like roles. Where I've never really seen Brad Pitt in this movie. I I, I see mm-hmm. uh, Detective David Mills, you know, and. I think he's fantastic in this movie. He's great. One of the best pit performances for sure. I mean, this guy is one of my favorite actors. I mean, I absolutely have a ton of respect for Pitt. Um, and I, I do think that really Freeman is the main character of this movie, but all the attention is on Mills. And it's really about this detective. It's about Somerset watching mm-hmm. this happen to somebody else. And that's something that we don't really see a whole lot because we really aren't spending a whole lot of time with us. A lot of important scenes happen without him, especially kind of the, I think the um, cafe scene with um, Gwyneth Paltrow really kind of sums up that Mills is outside a lot of this movie, but a lot, yeah. but so much is happening to him. And you can, I think the cafe scene is kind of the ultimate sign that a lot of things are going to be centered around Mills by the end of this movie. But Somerset is really the unfortunate, he's helpless, especially in the third act to everything that's going to happen to Pitt. We're really going to have to talk about that a little bit more, but I think Pitt's fantastic in this movie. He is toned down quite a bit, but is also able to bring in a little bit of comedy here, a little, a, a few moments that made me kind of chuckle, kind of a nervous little chuckle. This movie's just so dark and depressing that when uh, Pitt's like, just because he, uh, 
has a library card doesn't make him Yoda. Like just little lines like that kind of get mm-hmm. the, one of those uncomfortable laughs for me. And I, which I think is so great about Fincher that he's not really a funny director, but he drops in these little bits of comedy here that just give you this nervous laugh. And I think that really adds to the environment. His movies yeah, create. I think Mills is super funny in a lot of this. Um, he's super likable too. Like Pitt aside, like obviously he made the character. He's mm-hmm. amazing, but the character itself is really cool. It's just like. Yeah, we see so many characters that are just like every man, like detectives, like, oh, I'm hitting the streets. I'm going to be the best cop. Like, you know, they even like mention Serpico, etc. Um, but mm-hmm. Pitt does it in a way like he's Mills is not too dumb. He's not too smart. He's not like trying to be funny all the time, but he is funny when he wants to be. And yeah, like he's he's on the wrong side of some situations and, you know, he loses sometimes, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's someone that you're rooting for throughout the movie. And you can tell that Somerset yeah. is rooting for him too. Somerset is just worried about him. And then we start yeah. to worry about him too throughout the movie. Cause we're seeing mm-hmm. it all from Somerset's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say Bill's has a really bad rep in this movie. I, a lot of, I've, read many reviews, listened to many reviews of this movie, really calling him dumb and stupid. I have to really strongly disagree because I don't think Mills is stupid. He's not <laughs> the best detective. Yeah. He's not as good as Somerset, but he's not. He's fought for the worst. He, I think he has many moments where he proves his capability. And I mean, I feel like many people would like say when he comes with a plan to like get the warrant for um. Uh, to break into John Doe's house, that he's crossing the line there. But nobody ever really says that about Somerset with the library cards. I mean, that's clearly yeah. kind of outside the law, you know? And the way Somerset str- um, shrugs it off doesn't really help either, you know? And um, I think Pitt has many moments where he proves himself, but also many moments where you get that he isn't really the best of the best, you know? And I think that that really solidifies him as a perfect main character for the for the movie that Fincher yeah, and, and Walker are trying to tell it's here. His virtues um, that actually like trip him up and get in the way, like the you know, whenever he acts dumb or whatever, what people in reviews might say is stupid is like you know he is itching to go and get the killer. Like he's um, he's so ready to do good mm-hmm. that he you know doesn't take the time like Somerset does to like sit and be methodical and that can be seen as like you know he's whatever he's a meathead he's just he just wants to play sports but um you know he's just he's just a good person like he genuinely just wants to help and like that is Mm kind of ultimately why he's the one to be destroyed by john doe is because he's the most optimistic and um brave character and he can like really do some good unless he's broken Mm mm-hmm Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. He's really just this pure, he's this kind of this, kind of this child really entering this world of darkness, really, you know, and honestly, that not really saying anything about the intelligence of a child going into Mills' smarts and all that, but really just his kind of lack of experience in a world like this. And Somerset kind of in the line of this opening scene where he's, where it's like, you've seen the things I've done, you know, and all that. And, um, so much like, known. It's like, well, I've I've dealt with homicide before. And it's like not here, you know. He's just outside his 
Arena here. He doesn't know what the city is like. And I mean, I, yeah, I think Pitt's just the perfect protagonist to fall throughout the movie. And I think Pitt's great um, in the role. Um, but anyway, I have to say best um, opening credits sequence in a movie ever. I'm going to go and put <laughs> my stake down there for the best as well. Um, because I think up until, I'm serious, up until seven, opening credit sequences were boring. I like just, I mean, boring. Just title cards that were really just blank, uninteresting. And seven, David Fincher comes in, brings in just kind of the audio from a Nine Inch Nails song and makes this a really fantastic title sequence. We're kind of seeing the inside of some of John Doe's plot without really realizing it. And rewatching this for the third time, I was able to pick up on many details that were going to be in this movie. And I think that's something that we don't get a lot with credits, uh, opening credits. Uh, I think it looks really good that the the font for the, the words, fantastic. The song's really good. Uh, this really fits in so smoothly with the with the rest of the movie in a really unsettling way, but also it's just yeah, great to it's watch. a it's a good opening credit scene. I mean, I would have to think before I said that it was the best ever. Like, I there's lots of great opening credit scenes out there, but um, it's definitely like it's got that Fincher perfectionism. Like, you can't really complain about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's kind of get into the meat of the murder here. You know, I think we'll, a lot of this movie we're gonna break it down by John Doe's one. So let's gonna start out with number one here, gluttony, gluttony, my <laughs> bad, <laughs> gluttony. Um, and um, instantly right off the bat, we got one of the I think one of the grossest murders of the movie. Um, I think I think we can't help but put ourselves in the shoes of the victim. And that's a really painful instinct for someone to have in this movie. Uh, I don't know if I'm generalizing too much here. I do that when I'm watching um, murder movies and things like that. What would I do? What it would be like, you know? And I did that with this movie. And it's, <laughs> it's not good, you know? It, it, it's so painful, you know? And just the idea of it. It's so outside anything we've seen before. It's, it's incredibly creative. And I think just the idea of basing this movie on the seven deadly sins, you know, I think a con- like a I think a well known um, idea and I guess kind of philosophy. I'm not really sure how to where to put it, but I think people kind of know what they are. I think seven made it even a bigger deal, and I think that's a really great idea. It perfectly puts. John does point across, but it's also just, I think, just really inventive. And I think this first murder here is, it's incredibly gross. It's very dark. The the, the throw up, just all of it. And I think you instantly kind of get through the tension between Mills and Somerset. But also we have the autopsy scene, one of the best autopsy scenes ever. Right up there, with like the Science of the Lambs, you know, and and, and even like Twin Peaks. Um, I, I really love just kind of this first, um, the start of the Seven Deadly Sins here with Glenny. It's incredibly creative, gets under your skin instantly. Um, I, I think it's incredibly yeah, um, effective. All the murders here are really, um, uh, they, they really get 
in your guts and kind of spin them around. They, they <laughs> it's sickening. Um, yeah, and it's mm-hmm. uh, well made for that reason because of the context of the movie. But um, it, you know, it's really never like too explicit. Like the, a lot of the, like most of the murders are, none of the murders are shown. Sorry, except for well one. Um, and, uh, hmm. it's kind of to the movie's benefit, like, um, and it goes to, um, one of the monologues yes. that Somerset also has. See, he has all the best monologues, I'm telling you. Um, he, and he talks about <laughs> he they're does. just kind of like, as cops, they're just picking up the pieces of something that's already happened and like holding on yes. to it to like bring it out Gosh. in court, maybe. And we really get that sense because we're showing up after the fact all the time we're constantly one step behind this faceless evil for most of the movies faceless um so when he does get a face it's very effective yeah yeah i think many of the things somerset has to say about the killer in this movie that like one of the best lines of the movie he's um he's devious tell intelligent and worst of all, patient. That's a great line. I think I might have messed up those first two there, but just the approach to this whole case from Somerset's perspective on, like you said, picking up the mm-hmm. pieces. He's so cynical here, and I think it's one of the just it, his cynicism never really gets old for me. He's just constantly giving these great monologues, and I feel like if we didn't have Freeman acting this out and Walker's great dialogue, that we just we'd kind of roll our eyes at this. But there's such well-written monologues here. You you can't really say anything bad about them. They're really well done. And I think the fact that we never see a single murder in this movie except for the end. And But it feels it's worse than you actually seeing them. You know, it's Fitcher somehow makes it where you it can, it's so disturbing and you're just not even seeing what's happening. You know, you, you don't see how it happened. And I think that is such a brilliant movie and is a testament to this to the film's greatness is they're able to get under your skin without showing you these murders. That, that's a yeah, I think that's it a really sign allows of you to just there. like let your imagination run wild. Like he's not showing you everything. He's letting you mm-hmm. fill in the blanks. And like that makes it so much more like limitless. Yeah. Like you you can, you know, it's like you can bring like almost dream logic to it. Like things that you, they couldn't show in a movie. You, it goes straight through your head. Um, so yeah, definitely mm-hmm. great uh, subconscious. Su- just suggesting. He's really just suggesting all this stuff. Like he's not really yeah. explaining anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Kind of right after this, really, we get our second, our second murder out the bat. And, it's the lawyer here, not the most vile one, but I have to say, and take it to you, this this was I, I I thought he was just stabbed here, but they say in this movie that John yeah. Doe forced him to cut himself, and I did not pick that up on my first two watchings, and that's maybe a, a mistake on my part, honestly, but I think that that's uh. That made this. Uh, I, I one of the best things about rewatching this movie on this thing was I really appreciated the lore, the lawyer mu- murder a lot more than I ha- ever have before. Uh, it's one of the more underrated ones, I think. The, gr- the there's a great shot of um, Be- Brad Pitt kind of looking around, and we kind of get an overhead shot, and we get mm-hmm. uh, greed written in blood on the floor. Uh, really great shot. 
Um, I think the the guy who's I don't know is he's the DA or something like that, but um, he is so great. He has some great lines here. I love the way he's talking to the press here, where he's like, "All right, I'm gonna make this quick." Any question asked in a aggressive manner, yeah. I will not answer, and I will leave. You know, and then the, the best part is like, "This will be the definition <laughs> of swift justice." Really love that line. Um, but I think this whole approach here, where really the um, um, the news really starts to get in on this case, and where you know that they can't really operate in secrecy anymore. This case has really kind of gotten some spotlight now. Uh, what kind of I think raises the stakes a little bit more, where people are expecting a little bit more, and you know I think one of the great things here is Somerset does not want a part of this. So he's claiming, you know, he's retiring, and that was claiming right by the end he won't. But um, I think that that's a really um, interesting detail to Somerset's character is that he's not wanting to take this case on. And obviously Mills is going to jump right into it. And it's going to take some convincing to get Somerset in on this. And um, even after this murder, um, he's not going to really help out much. But um, you still get his curiosity, though, after, after this murder here. The library scene, one of the most iconic scenes, I think, of this movie is the library scene with the music in the background. Um, I had a newfound appreciation for this scene as well. Loved the music, loved the way it's shot, seeing the book pulled out, just a great mm-hmm. shot each time a book's pulled out. Um, just a great line by Sarah said here, where he's talking to the guys at the pick table, all the knowledge of the world, and you play poker. You know, yeah. that, like that's a really great line as well. And um, I think this scene is just really well shot, really well edited. I 100% agree with the Academy for nominating this movie for best editing. I, I think it should have won, but. I, I do think the editing in this movie is fantastic, interspersing it between um, Pitt, uh, kind of looking at some of the pictures from the murder, and um, Mills getting, I, I don't know, Somerset reading uh, some of the books here. I, it, it takes on the surface a really boring scene and makes it really interesting and yeah, really compelling. Yeah, it's, it's a quiet scene for sure, but it's interesting that, you know, Somerset is really going in and doing this amount of research on a case that he doesn't want any part of it's like you know what would yeah. he, what lengths would he go to for like a regular case that he was actually in charge of was what i was thinking but also like mm-hmm. just going back to the lawyer scene real quick like the fact that um like i don't think i noticed that about like the pound of flesh the first time i watched it either and like the fact yeah and the fact that like such an awesome oh i love that part like yeah sadistic metaphor is just kind of like a throwaway line in this movie um speaks to the amount of detail in it but Mm -hmm. i love the library scene too and all the the news stuff yeah and um i believe that right after like basically the most notable scene after this is the dinner scene as well and um i think i've liked this movie a lot this is beyond first being Really liking this movie, but from the dinner scene and on, I'm holding my breath the entire time. Just it, it keeps this level of tension, and really not the dinner scene, but when the te- when Mills and Somerset wake up asleep on the on uh, asleep on the couch, and they go in and get salt. I'm jumping ahead here, but from that scene and on, it is absolutely just blood pumping, disturbing. Yeah crazy stuff 
you know. Um, and really, the, I think this is a really crucial scene, the dinner scene here, where Mills and Somerset have kind of been at odds a little bit throughout the movie, and this is kind of, I think, their ultimate bonding moment here. Is they'll still quarrel a little bit throughout the movie, but this is kind of where they hit that connection here. And we also get introduced to Gwyneth Paltrow here, who's fantastic. I, Gwyneth Paltrow, she gets a little bit of crap sometimes, uh, but I think she's fantastic here. I, I really love this performance. I like this character. Um, she never, ever comes off as whiny or naive in this movie, um, which I think under a lesser actress, that would happen, you know. Um, but Paltrow just strikes that balance so well. Um, and I, I think this is a great introduction to her character. Mills playing with the dogs, I really like. And then the trip, kind of the, the subway scene um, <laughs> is really great. And it's kind of one of those... Um, kind of uncomfortable smiles yeah. you know one of those nervous chuckles uh, I think that's a great scene as well and I've never heard Morgan Freeman laugh by the way. <laughs> um, so that was really great as well um, <laughs> but yeah I think this is a great scene it's important for these two characters to um, really have this bonding moment here and also I think the um, you really feel like you're winning one when they eventually uncover the, the mystery behind the painting as well and do the forensics and all that. We get um, a cameo by Morgan Freeman's brother um, and all that with the guy scanning the um, oh, cool. I didn't know. the fingerprints at the computer. That was, um, yeah, Morgan Freeman's uh, brother. So that was cool. Um, yeah, I think this dinner scene and the, and the eventual uncovering the fingerprint scene is yeah, some fantastic awesome. uh, stuff. Like- I mean, there's really not a dip in quality at any point in the movie. <laughs> no. If anything, it just continues to get better. It continues yeah, to get better. I mean, I would, I, would, I would probably say that there's, like, the beginning is really strong, and then there's, like, a slight depression, and then it, like, gets really great at the end. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um. And yeah, I think this uh, right after the scene where we kind of uncover uncover sloth here, where basically if we're kind of dissecting what's happening with John Doe's plot here, they um, Mills and Somerset go to the um, lawyer's house, and apparently she's um, under lockdown, I believe. Um, and uh, I think, uh, like they. The, the she reveals a detail about the, the way some of the the room is set up and the painting is upside down, and um, and you have to know like that's not a mistake mm-hmm. at all by John Doe. That was intentional. You know, you you one hundred percent get that that he is purposely leading clues here. And we kind of skipped over the um fr- the fridge scene where um Somerset finds um gluttony kind of mm-hmm. written on the wall there and. Uh, Using kind of a, a piece of like the, the 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 floor that was like fed to the fat guy, um, which is just like so thoughtfully planned out. It's 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 so well written and um and that continues here. And these these fingerprints, they I think they don't really. Somerset and Mills aren't really buying that this is um from John Doe. They think that this is really just going to lead them to the next clue, which is just, I think, a, 
like you mentioned with picking up the pieces is really continuing that theme of the movie and i think it works really well i also think it's a great character moment for somerset mills just to fall asleep next to each other i think that's a really just a great moment that lasts like five seconds um and um the uh break-in and our uh murderous sloth one of the most just (laughs) <laughs> chilling moments in a movie ever just oh my gosh just that one that freaked me out man like first viewing still does still gets under my skin the makeup is fantastic i, I can't believe this movie didn't get a nomination for the makeup from gluttony to sloth i mean i think the makeup in this movie is fantastic but yeah just incredibly tense and what is it like california who's kind of the main member of this police squad or swat um <laughs> he's great here um yeah. <laughs> he's got some really great lines as well um and i have to say the way that the people hold guns in this movie is so well it's so great like you mm. you really buy their capability here just their their um pers- how precise they are and you know venture <laughs> like beat it into them because you know i'm sure that's what he did and um I think just the way they do it is just so captivating and the makeup is fantastic. And man, when he just, when he coughs, man, I just, mm-hmm. I jumped right out of my seat. That just freaked me out. And just the, the photos of like, what was it? Like week one or whatever, all the way to the end, you know, like that's just, it's his patience. Mm-hmm. It's his patience. That's so disturbing. And because though any really quote unquote the way society labels insane person would ever go to those links, you know, um, and I think that's just a great detail. So kind of brushed over, but um, is I think it's a really effective moment. I think it's a great scene and one of the just one of the best murders. Um, yeah, I smiled sure, after uh, Sloth did his little cough and jump because I, I jumped too. And I, as soon as I did, I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Like I remember that happened the first time I watched it, but I just totally forgot. <laughs> he totally got me again. I was like, just smiling like, okay, Fincher, you got me. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think it, for me, I knew that was coming and I was, for me, it was part of the dread. Like I didn't know what, at what point he was coughing. And I was like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And then he coughed, like, oh my gosh. Like, it's just like, you know, it's going to happen, but it's still, it still gets under your skin. And I think that's the testament of this movie being so rewatchable, but also just Fincher able to keep in that disturbing quality uh, throughout the movie. And it, it's so strong that it's, that it sticks upon rewatches, um, and I be- and I think that kind of the doctor's line, like this man has thought this has suffered more pain than any man I've ever come across. He's uh, in some sense like, yeah. can he like give a statement or anything? <laughs> no, he's chewed off his tongue. I mean, man, just really, just chilling lines that are just so easily brushed over. And we get this the the, the cafe scene with. What is Paltrow and Morgan I think it's Paltrow's best scene. It's heartbreaking on, on so many levels. Uh, for what you know is uh, for we watching it, you know what's going to happen to her and what's going to happen to Mills. And I think it's it also digs in a little bit to Somerset's character. He's not just this character listening to her. He's giving in some thoughts on what's 
and experiences what's happened to him before. Just some great dialogue here. And, and Pacho, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so great in this scene. Yeah, it's, it's cool it's, to see it's Somerset, fantastic. like, so much more advanced in years and having so much more experience on her to, like, watching her and, like, he's mm-hmm. dreading what she's going to go through because he's been through it. Just great human stuff right there. That's just pure drama right there. Yeah. And I think that without these actors, without this writing, some of this drama would just not work as well. And the kind of stuff like, oh, okay, let's let's get to the murders. And I never feel that. Like for me, it's just as interesting as sloth yeah, well, and gluttony and all that other genre is running stuff. throughout both. Like um, it's the, they're talking about the same things, just in different contexts. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, and after this, we get probably I think on. First viewing, this was the scene that I honestly just buried my face in my hands. Just and I, I just having never experienced a movie at this level of disturbing. Just this the way this murder is done. I don't and I don't think this murder has given as much thought to, but is one of the for me one of the most disturbing murders of the whole movie. All the just the ideas behind it just are incredibly disturbing to me, and uh, really, I it's just hard to talk about honestly. Mm. Like, what this murder is, you know, I mean, it is rough, it, it's really rough. It's shot well, especially with the loud music in the background, mm. somehow uh, boosts up the adrenaline. Um, it, it's, I think, this is incredibly, incredibly effective. I honestly really just don't even want to say what the murder is if you guys have. Like, listened yeah. or seen this? I've seen this movie before. Um, you you know what it is. It, it it's just at a another level of disturbing. Where as me who have seen many movies before, yeah, I just haven't seen anything like that, it. That we're just gonna brush over this one a little more. But um, I think it's just a testament to like the fact that they can keep that Fincher can keep topping himself and the writer too. I forget his name, but he keeps topping himself with these scenarios. Except yeah. for maybe like the lawyer is kind of a kind of a back step, but other than that, it's like two steps forward every time, and um, even on to the end. So uh, yeah, it, that's that definitely helps the movie. Um, I think it helps the runtime. Like I never feel bored because it's always accelerating instead of like having a payoff yeah. and then dropping down and uh-huh. then a lesser payoff and you know a greater payoff. You know, kind of when it varies throughout the movie, it's almost more boring. Yeah. Yeah, it it really does keep your attention throughout. And I think the the greater scene is watching the guy talking afterwards. Like the, this actor, I don't know who's playing him. He's really good though. Like he, I think he really sells this moment. Just his the way he looks too. Just how pale he is. His shivering. Just it, it, it's so well done. And then. It's shot really well as we're kind of like panning back, cutting back and forth between Mills interrogating mm-hmm. the guy who I guess owned this club or whatever. And that's some great dialogue as well. One of the most iconic lines I think yeah. of the movie is, you like what you do for a living? Like, no, I don't. You know, that's a, a really iconic line from the movie. And I, it is shot really well. The, the dialogue's great. And then after the scene is over and they kind of pan back and it's the shot of them both in the interrogation rooms kind of pacing around. Like, 
that's such a great shot. Like I, I, I just instantly just a frameable, mm-hmm. a, a frameable moment. It, it's fantastic. yeah. I, and the, yeah, and you know, we talk about it accelerates constantly. I do think the next murder, um, what is it? I think lust. I think the, or, the last one was lust. Lust or pride. Well, yeah, with the woman and the bed, um, with the pills like glued oh, to her yeah, ha- hand, and the telephone like, glued to her. It hand. was all about her self-image. I'm blanking. You got it. Come on. You I think it, it might have been. Uh, we'll get there first. I'm gonna look it up. Ah. Uh, yeah. Um, what are your, What are your thoughts on this murder? Pretty Rob? interesting. It's up. like you know he's. Uh, John Doe has definitely given his victim a choice before, but never a choice quite like this. And it's weird because it's like she did technically kill herself. Um, I mean, it, she was coerced into it, but not really. Like she did have a choice and it was a horrible choice, but she could have lived, which, you know, like from a concept perspective, I think it almost mm-hmm. is a step up from, you know, like the last murder was very like viscerally dark but this one is like uh, more like psychologically uh, terrifying yes. I agree yeah I, of course it was pride, I should be able way. to remember pride, that one. which <laughs> definitely makes sense yeah <laughs> um, I, I do I do think it's great though for me it just doesn't top like sloth and uh, lust and all that but I do really like it it's shot really well. Um, you get the um, dis- there's still that disturbing quality to it, even though the shots aren't that direct, like to the face, you know, or anything like that. We're not really absorbing in the details, but her hands are scratched up, you know, nails are scraped up, you know, and I think it's very well shot. It, it, it still keeps the level of disturbance, but it just didn't for me. It didn't top sloth and uh, and lust, but it is very well done. And then. I think we've entered kind of that 30-minute zone that I was talking about here um, from Kevin Spacey's introduction in this movie and on. I am floored. Just when did they knock on his door? In all. I mean, I, I... this is... Oh, okay, we, I, we skipped over that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so this happens. Um, I think right after they get the... I think after after um they get the fingerprints. Um, uh, it was the library thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about that. So Morgan Freeman has this guy who's like <laughs> who pops up in a lot of famous Lots movies. Memento. <laughs> he's in Batman Begins. Um, but yeah, um, he pops up here and gives um Freeman the um library card information on who's checked out these books and this is kind of an idea that Pitt gives Freeman unintentionally um and I think it's a really cool bit of sleuth work I haven't seen anything this inventive before even though tracing records is pretty common (laughs) library cards you know that's I think that's really interesting um and yeah they they find they're able to track down John Doe's apartment here and I think I can't believe I skipped over this. It's so stupid to me, but I, this is for me one of the best shot chases ever. Not the best. I, I'm not going to say it's the best, but one of the best shot chases, especially for a crime film, 
where it's not that Tom Cruise chase scene, you know, which I love, but it's so messy. Like, it's nothing, there's nothing triumphant about it at all. I mean, Mills loses in this scene. He gets hit to the face. He breaks his hand. I mean, it's, I think it's really well shot. He's, though, it's, it's, he's always a step ahead. He's always a step ahead. And that's, I think that's just brilliant. Uh, brilliant writing and, and really it's really well shot as well just kind of um, I think just the way Pitt holds the gun to the way he's kind of killing people out of the way um, and just kind of the I think just the detail like the child kind of pointing to the room you know and then you know the, the hits the crowbar really just felt incredibly brutal um, and the shot of the upward shot of the gun and then kind of Spacey's mm-hmm. more dark uh, figure in the background. Excellent, excellent shot. Um, yeah, I, this is one of the all-time best chase scenes for me because of how different it is from any other chase scene we've seen before. But it's, it still feels incredibly blood-pumping, and it's shot really well. Um, and it's just it's, it's so different. You know, yeah, from this anything is kind we've of embarrassing, I, I but whenever John Doe first pulls the gun and starts shooting at them, that first shot, 100% dodged it. <laughs> like, sitting in my bed with my laptop, I was like, oh! I dodged it out of the way. I was like, I was like, whew. Huh. I, I, I jumped, yeah, I that. jumped a little bit for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And even on rewatch, the way Spacey acts it all out, you know? Because I think a lot of this is Spacey here doing the running. Um, and it may not, may not be the run. It, it really caught me off guard, even knowing it was coming. Uh, and we also skipped over John Doe's apartment. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> like one of the yeah. all-time best billionaires. <laughs> like, I think the audience has a lot of expectations going into this scene. And they're 100% met. You know? And we also mm-hmm. get some great dialogue with, and I guess kind of um, themes with um, kind of Somerset cautioning Mills against breaking down the door uh, because if he does this, admit he's betting a lot because it could all be over. They just don't have enough mm-hmm. grounds to do it. They've comp- they've compromised some things in not a very um, legal way, um, and I, I, that part of they need a warrant. just without having a warrant, you know. And I think that was just a, a really interesting part. I don't think we see it oftentimes detectives and police officers like worry over a warrant uh but they really do that in this movie i think that's such a great dig into the into police work um and you know it, it the way it looks is incredibly creepy you know it 100 percent meets up to the expectations we have uh never feeling too over the top but 100 percent over the top you know in in every way just yeah. i mean the red um, crucifix, the cross over the bed, like keeping a souvenir from each of the scene, from each of the kills. I mean, it is incredibly brutal. Um, and though, the, I mean, one of the most iconic parts is the um, the composition books. You know, I remember having these in school. We don't use them anymore, but we we used to. Um, and just that one bit that Somerset pulls from one of these um, journals is just. I think it's fantastic. I mean, just the, the little bit here, throwing up on a man, because I guess because he was so revolted by him and laughing at it. Just, mm-hmm. It's such a, a perfect 
capture of John Doe's life. <clears throat> it's it shot so well. And just the adrenaline rush you get out of the phone ringing, like him rushing to the phone. You know the stakes. These aren't mobile phones. You can't see what the calls were, you know? You can't call them back, you know? <laughs> I think that that is... The fact that he's able to build stakes on that, I, I absolutely love. Yeah, um, it's definitely a, a fitting reveal for the lair, but I mean, the the notebooks are crazy. I love the fact that they're not dated. I just think that's mm-hmm. an awesome detail. Um, the What do you think about the way they work around the, the breaking down the door? Because that did seem like kind of a cop-out for that drama. Because it's like, they have the argument about breaking down the door because it's not going to be admissible or whatever. And then he does it. And then like, there's a quick scene of him like paying somebody to say that they like tipped him off. It's like, I I get that. Like they kind of, that they had to do that. It just felt a little disappointing to me. Like it's a really tiny nitpick, Mm. but like, I don't know. That just kind of didn't sit totally right with me because like there's other areas where they kind of circumvent the law in like a very necessary way but it seems like that scene didn't even need to be shown i like it because they never do go to court i like it i think it's mills it's mills bending the rules moment i think it's kind of funny like it's a i honestly thought it was brought in a little bit of comedy as well i think the lady yeah, the, lady play, the lady playing as the homeless woman. I think she's kind of funny. Um, and I, I, for me, I appreciate it so much because Fincher clearly has studied detectives and police work for a long time. And I think Zodiac might just be the pinnacle of that. But with, here as well, you know, um, Mills complains a lot about just sitting around. And that's a whole lot of police work. It's just sitting around, you know, doing paperwork and making calls. And um, that's clearly not what Mills is on the job to do. Um, and I think his, I, I think it's just a good insight to Mills' character. It, it's his bending the rules moment. I, I, I honestly, I feel like they do need to have this moment because um, it, it, I think it just, for me, it adds to the realism of the police work. And I'm a, I'm a big um, FBI kind of police work fan, you know, it's something I like to study. Uh, and so on that level, I appreciated it as the bending the rules and appreciating and having so much respect for the warrant. Cause I think if they just knock the door down, I, I wouldn't like it as much. Yeah. I think knocking the door down is definitely a great bending the rules moment for Mills. And I see your point. It, it, it definitely is funny and it's definitely realistic. It's just, and it's a very mm-hmm. short scene. So like, it, it's not even really worth yeah. complaining about, but. I just thought I would. I understand. I, I understand how it can disrupt the pacing for some. <laughs> but I think it it's all worth it with the reveal about um about Spacey's apartment. What ex- did you voice what you thought about it? I yeah. loved it. The I thought that the dates being removed from the notebooks was particularly mm-hmm. awesome. Uh the cross is particularly awesome, yeah. but you already mentioned that. Yeah, oh, it's great. We forgot about the, the photographer, that Spacey was the photographer that took a picture of Mills. And that, that reveal, first viewing, absolutely gut-punching. Just, you really feel mm. just as bummed out as Mills is that you just, you had him right there. It's just such a brilliant moment where it's not, it doesn't feel convenient at all. 
Like it adds to John Doe's fascination um, for Mills and and Somerset. It, it, I. It's also like the first time that he really starts taunting. Yeah. Them. Well, I, honestly, I feel like he's been taunting them throughout the whole movie. This is just the most blatant one. Yeah. Right, but like you know, he was taunting them in ways that was like, oh yeah, whatever detective comes across this case, you know, is gonna be, you know, confounded. Yeah. But this is the first time where he was like, I'm taking a picture of you. I'm standing right mm-hmm. next to you and you still can't catch me. You know, like that was very. Yeah, personal. it's definitely the best taunting moment Doe has um, out, out of all of his taunting moments. For now. Yeah, for now, for now. Um, but yeah, we kind of, we skipped over the scene, but let's get into Kevin Spacey's John Doe. I think this is one of the best yeah. character introductions ever. You know, detectives! For me, you know, that's a really <laughs> great opening line. I mean, I forgot Kevin Spacey was going to be in this movie when I first saw it. This was my first Kevin Spacey performance. You know, obviously, he's a terrible person, but I mean, I've said it before, <laughs> he's a great actor, man. I, he is just fantastic in everything I've seen him in House of Cards, American Beauty, LA Confidential. This, I'm just like he's so good in this movie it's one of the best villains ever i mean but he, i honestly don't think he gets enough credit i mean this for me this is right up there with like buffalo bill and darth vader just iconic and man spacey just for me he outshines Pitt and uh, freeman from this point on my eyes are on him the entire time i want to hear what i want to hear what um i want to hear what he has to say you know it's just it's incredibly gripping and just with the 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 the, the cut skin so he, there's no prints i mean that is just creepy dedication man and just um pitch acting when you he first sees him you know and like just the way he's yelling at him and talking to him and just the yelling it, it creates this instant chaos it, it's fantastic yeah he really is such a great villain because He's so completely unlikable. Yeah. Like, I hate him. Like, the whole time he's on screen. And, like, obviously, you know, James Spacey's career only yeah. adds to that. But, like, he's just completely vile. Nothing to like about, nothing redeeming about him at all. Yeah, but the worst part about it is, is it, when we'll get into the car ride later, but some of the points he makes here, I mean, you can't, you, you can't take away from him. And that's, that's the best villain. The, the best villains are the ones that you understand their points. And I think the fact that the writing here is, is so capable to where you get uh, Stacy's points, but also you're completely revolted by him. And, and, and it helps that, like, if Spacey just came in there and was like, if, if he was Buffalo Bill, which I love Ted Levine as Buffalo Bill, but these, these are just two different movies. And if the expectations we have for Doe at this point, if, if he came in there and was just acting real crazy, you know, just yelling, was so over the top, you know, that just would not work. But the fact that Spacey is just so calm and so in control and just the way that it just gets so under your skin where you're just as you're right with Mills. You are mad at him. You want to strangle him. I think it's 
the fact that Fincher is able to meet expectations for this, for this role, is just mind-blowing directing because I think oftentimes we set something up and they, in a way, they just don't meet our expectations and just surpassed any expectations I had for John Doe. Like, I did honestly didn't know what to expect. Was he just going to be the devil himself? Or was he going to be this, this this cold character? But Spacey just surpassed every expectation. And there, it's, I mean, there aren't many actors who could do that. And I think this, I think Spacey did it with flying covers and flying colors. And him just, like, steeping the, 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 the what is it? The, the I don't know anything about tea, but him steeping the tea um the tea back just such a creepy motion you know it's it, uh, he really does get under your skin here and the lawyer is just such a punk as well i mean you're just as mad at the lawyer as mills is you know just he kind of feels yeah. like a creep himself just the way he's delivering all this information he feels like it, he really feels kind of just as bad as the lawyer is painted to be who was killed just kind of here for the money, you know. He doesn't care about these these cases or anything, you know. He's here because he's getting paid for it, you know. And I think that's a that's a great scene as well. Is the scene with the lawyer, but yeah, I mean, just the line. He's he's intelligent. He's wealthy. And totally insane, <laughs> you know. That's such a great. That's such a great line. <laughs> um, and I think just the the way the music starts booming in where they're putting on the the microphones and the SWAT teams getting ready and on the helicopter and all that 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 was a really great kind of suiting up scene and then the the car mm-hmm. scene I mean oh my gosh it's such a brilliant scene it's I like I love the the ending on the on the field but this is the most rewatchable part of the movie for me we're really getting to dissect those um uh, mindset here and his motivations and you really feel like you have a layout for why he's doing this but you feel like you do absolutely nothing all at the same time just they're really they're giving you information about him but it in the end it amounts to nothing because he doesn't matter it's the case that does and what he's doing and man it's he's able to meet every question in just this brilliant way and when he loses control it like kind of when um Oh well, yeah. When Pitt says that these people are innocent, you know, and he just gets so ticked off by that, you know, and his kind of bit of passion there, um, that's a brilliant scene. You and I don't know. I I think Pitt was kind of calling these people innocent on purpose to really get under his skin. I I, I think, but at the same time, I don't know for sure. Um, but I I, I it's able. To, he's able to make a good like a somewhat of a solid case for himself, you know. Also, why he's doing that because these weren't good people, and and he, he's also kind of pointing out how when he killed the lawyer, like why, like you must well be secretly thanking me for that one, you know, like that's kind of like where we're you're talking about how people just don't care. You, where I'm, I have a feeling that a lot of the citizens' reaction to that that kill was just like, yeah, he had it coming, you know, and that's he makes you feel so guilty about yourself by the end of the scene and by the end of the movie. Um, I don't know, just we see a a seven deadly sin on every corner and we do nothing about it, you know? I don't know, that made me think a little bit. And not uh, not like, I oh, yeah, 
I'm pro John Doe. That's not what I mean. But I think that, like I said, I think Doe is making this case here. He's making a case enough to where you're able to understand his mindset to where, like, you know, Buffalo Bill. And I, by the way, I've used Buffalo Bill a lot as kind of a negative. He's not, like, love Buffalo Bill. Not, not the, in, a, in a character way, in a character standpoint, in writing, I really like Buffalo Bill. Um, but, yeah, I think he's just – I think this is masterful writing. Pitt and uh, Freeman are great as well. Um, and just the way that Pitt's getting riled up and the way Spacey's just totally in control. He really just shuts the door on Pitt where he's just kind of like, you wouldn't be alive unless I let you, you know? And the kid, he's kind of like, I seem to remember knocking on your door. And, and just Spacey's face when he makes the line, where he says the line, and I seem to remember putting a gun to your head, you know, or hitting you in the, smashing your face, you know? Like, just his delivery, I think is absolutely brilliant. This is one of my favorite scenes in cinema history, people. Yeah, John Doe is annoying, man. He pushes buttons. Yes, it's such uh, it's such a great part about the character. I don't I don't really agree with you that like like I wasn't feeling like, oh, I kind of see where he's coming from. Like I was just like seeing it as this completely insane person that's totally blind to like what he is doing and what he has done. And thinks that he has this master plan, but his his plan is just like destruction. Like it's there's no, um, like I don't I didn't understand what he thought was going to come out of this plan because I don't think he really understands himself. He's really just kind of doing things and like coming up with an explanation to kind of like satisfy himself in a twisted way that he has the right to do this, which he doesn't at all. He's a terrible person. And I'm not defending Doe at all. I mean, obviously this is awful what he's doing. I'm not defending that at all. What I'm saying is that I, I, I guess we'll have to have this debate, but I think by the end of this movie and throughout the movie, Doe constantly has control. And by the end of this movie, Doe wins. You could, I mean... He may get shot in the face, but I think that he makes his point across. You know, I think that it's very, it's very kind of a dark night type of thing where Joker, even though he's taken down, has kind of that ace of the hole with Harvey Two Face, and this is and the um the box is um Kevin Spacey's ace in the hole here. I think that by this movie, uh, there was made his point. And has won. Now I guess we're gonna have to have that debate, but uh, I, I think I, I kind of disagree. I think that I do believe that Sp- that Doe thinks he's been being called by a higher power here. I mean, uh, I also think that like I think he does believe very passionately what he's what he's doing. I don't think because I he's he's never had any crime before this. Just now doing it, so I think that he's. He's waited to do. Well, they don't even know who he is, so they don't know if he has other crimes, really. But I feel like I, I'm pretty confident that the commissioner said that they were able to do some sort of background check on him, where they were they were able to tell that he had a lot of money and things like that. So I, I don't think that Spacey is or Doe has committed a crime before this point. And yeah, yeah, I'm, it, uh, I'm not sure if he has. He probably hasn't, but. 
like we don't know who he is and we don't really know who he was i guess you could say before he became john doe but the assumption is that he was not the greatest guy like no one he wasn't like this perfect person and then he was like he just got fed up being so perfect that he had to like um like uh you know, make people pay for their sins. And then he became John Doe. Like he was just as messed up as everyone else. And he just became even more messed up. Like he's the worst example of all the things that he hates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think. And that's just why he has to externalize it. Cause he's like hates himself pretty much. I think. I do think the point, I do think you have made a point here. I, I, I have to say, I have disagreed with a few of your points, but I think you did make a, your point where his motivation, well, I think is firm, falls apart in a few point in a few areas, and he never answers where like he's like, um, where like he's like talking about the lawyer and like, who dedicated his life to keeping murderers and rapists on the streets and and Pitt's like murder and, and he won't answer when kind of what Pitt is implying there and he never really kind of def- yeah. kind of addresses the issue that he's doing a lot of the things that he's fighting against and that's kind of where his motivation falls apart and I do think that maybe he this won't be studied over like he thinks it is but I mean I think this is definitely going to be something this town remembers for a long time I think this town is so bad that they won't really care (laughs) like like I think Somerset will take it to his grave, and like um, absolutely Mills also, because like you know he's he's gonna pay for that for the rest of his life pretty much. But like it really does become very personal, and that's what's so great about the scene is because it's you know for all the conceptual things that um, John Doe is like claiming, what it has really come down to is something between like him and Mills pretty much. And Somerset yeah. is just like an onlooker. So like yeah. that part is, and that part is like palpable. Like you hate John Doe because he's already just pushing Mills over the edge and it just gets worse. And so that escalation is incredibly effective. But for me, like John Doe's motivations, I don't, like all of his points just sound insane. Does it work though? Or like, are you enjoying this car chasing and the scenes of Doe? Because that's, I think, what it's what it ultimately gets down to, whether the motivations work for you or not. The scene works. The motivations for John Doe do not work. They like they like clearly they work for him. And I'm not saying that it's unrealistic that he would think that, but like they're they don't hold up at all. But then, I wouldn't say even though the scene works, I wouldn't say I'm enjoying it. Because I'm just getting as throughout the scene, I'm getting as frustrated as Mills at how um, completely like in another world John Doe is. And like Mills mm-hmm. has a line about it. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's, oh yeah, yeah. He's basically saying like, so do you insane people know like exactly how insane you yeah. are? Like, are you do okay? you know when you're insane? Do you know yeah. when you're insane? Yeah, which is, like, a great line and, like, perfectly sums it up. But, like, at the same time, like, it's not to say that John Doe can't still get under his skin because he clearly does. Yeah. Um, 
let's get to the, the box. You know, probably the most iconic thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's in the box? You know, what a, a very iconic line from cinema. And um, <laughs> I think it's great. I think it holds up spectacularly. It still has that gut punch that by the end of this movie, I'm like, when it's over, I'm just kind of pacing around, just put like, kind of putting my hands in my hair, just, just mind blown, you know, just it's, I think it holds up so well. The decision to not show the head in the box, really well done. It, I think Pitt's acting in this scene, really underrated. Like just, it, I, it's fantastic. There's just this look uh, when he's kind of, when everything's kind of being revealed to him and um, he's kind of doesn't know whether to shoot him or not. And uh, I think it's a, the, the tension slowly building up. The overhead helicopter shots are shot really, really well. I mm-hmm. love how they're shot. I haven't seen anything like that before. Um, and just um, Freeman's acting is so good. He's, the, he's helpless in this scene. He can do nothing. And really, I really like his little part. It's kinda, it kind of made me chuckle a little bit, the way Freeman del- delivered this line where um, uh I think Spacey keeps kind of egging him on, and the way um, uh, Freeman goes, shut up! (laughs) That was a really, really cool delivery that I I really liked, and man, Spacey's just so creepy here, it's just at another level here, and just his body acting as well, um, he gets really sadistic every time he kind of turns his head, you know, Mm -hmm. because he's just so... He, he acts like he's just so over everybody else. You know, just kind of like, oh, he didn't know. You know, like, that, that's just incredibly, just incredibly creepy. The music by Howard Shore is so good. Uh, I really love that piece. It's, what, it's my favorite piece from, this, from the whole movie. Um, and, yeah, it, it 100% delivered for me. The, it's a, it's, you feel exactly like Mills by the scenes over Mills looks dead by the end of this movie. He looks soulless, and I felt the exact same way by the end. Just hollow, you know? And then that's a gut-punching way to end a movie, but incredibly effective. And it's I think it's the, right up there with Empire Strikes Back and, like, Twin Peaks The Return. It's one of the best endings ever. Yeah, I mean, the ending is definitely what elevates this movie overall. Like, it's not that anything has been, like, subpar in the film but like the conclusion brings the whole thing up a couple notches um because otherwise like otherwise like without this scene being as great as it is it's a good Fincher movie right but with this scene being as good as it is it's just a great movie overall I think everything's baking on this scene I think it's still a great movie without this scene for me, though, I think I like this movie a little bit more than you do. So for me, I think this has been a great movie. And this this scene takes it to the incredible level for me. Because everything's banking on this scene. And because it works so well, it elevates all the other material. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there was... I Okay, so I'll, I have the Blu-ray for this movie. And there was an alternate ending with actual footage that was like, oh, I need to see this. And I, I was, I, there were multiple ways this was going to go. 
like they they were gonna like when Mill shoots the screen go black, which I think would have had a really good shock value, but would it be as rewatchable? I think you need that scene where Somerset says he's gonna keep on, he's gonna stay on. I think that's a great scene. Yeah. Also the line as well where he's like, Ernest Hemingway once said, "The world is a fine place and we're fighting for." I agree with the second part. You know, that's that's a really great line there. And I think Freeman's delivery on that's really well. I think it, it, this movie starts with Somerset and it ends with Somerset. And there is also a way, I, in the commentary track, Freeman says that the plan was at one point for Somerset to shoot Doe and take the blame and so Mills wouldn't have that on his conscience, which I think is really interesting. Do you think that works? Yeah. I think, I you, think, need, I think you need a few more scenes after it, though, I think, to show a little bit more aftermath. Sure. I mean, it would be a different aftermath. Like, Somerset wouldn't be saying, I'm still in the force. He would be saying, I'm going to jail. Uh, yeah. But, like, he does throw his gun away, and I wasn't ever really sure why. It seems like he could have he could have stopped Mills or he could have um, like you said killed John Doe are either of those options plausible though it seems like they are to me it seems like he could have rushed Mills and tackled him like Mills isn't going to shoot him just to shoot John Doe I don't Doe. know Mills is at a really bad place I wouldn't be surprised like I honestly think that him not that Somerset throwing away the gun is kind of just this. I I think really just Mills is at a really unstable place, and I think Somerset's trying to be as gentle as possible. And I think the the sign of a gun is a sign of hostility. And I think that Mills is not in an emotional place right now to has Somerset try to persuade him with a gun, you know? And I'm not saying that he would shove the gun in his face or anything like that. And I, I, I think, think he could have shot him. I, I do agree. I do agree. And that's just, that's just ultimately comes down to what the, which ending the way it goes. And I think throwing away the gun ultimately shows what direction this movie's going for. And uh, so I was talking with my dad after we first saw the movie. And I, in the morning after us, I, we were still talking about it. And I was like, that it up crazy ending, and he was like, "Yeah, Mills made the right choice." And I was like, "Really? Like, because for me, I think Doe has set up this. It's just so brilliantly done to where he wins either way. You know, if he wins, he's still kind of it. It shows his superiority, quote unquote, to any to the law enforcement how they don't matter and." But I also think he gets the better he gets the better deal where his masterpiece is fully created here. I think Doe is satisfied either way, but I think he's he's even happier with this. Yeah, he's definitely happier with this. Um, like I mean, Somerset lays it out like this is his plan. Like, don't do it. Yeah, I'm just like it's it's weird to me that Somerset puts all the responsibility of the choice, like the decision on Mills, when he knows that Mills is in the most like um, volatile emotional state. Like Mills is the one that has all the stakes piled up for him. And then Somerset is like, 
let me not try to like influence at this at all. Let me just throw the gun down and say, don't do it. Like, please, it's what he wants. Please don't do it. Like, like I understand he didn't have a lot of time to think about it, but it doesn't seem like that really worked. Like, I understand why they had Mills kill John Doe because the way Somerset was handling it, like, what was Mills supposed to do? Like, he was going to kill him. I think it was just a sign of trust, honestly. I mean, I think you have to buy their um, their friendship by the end of the movie, that he's putting it in his hands. And I don't, and I think it's just a sign of, I, I think no, I think Somerset knows deep down what Mills is going to do, but I think he's going to put that that trust in in Mills' hands. And maybe it's not the smartest move, but I do think that I I like the decision because I think that it's I don't know Somerset being just kind of this helpless advice. I think if he had a thrown away the gun and he like he tackled him or something. It demeanors Somerset's role in the movie as this bystander to these horrible events where the attention it's it's Mills and Spacey. And I think if Mills if Somerset gets in the way of that too much, it doesn't. It's not a better movie. Yeah, I'm, cinematically, yes, I agree with you. I'm just trying to think about like that. Just I don't know. It it was. It gave me pause this time around because the first time around I was just like, you know, like very much just in shock of the situation. But the second time around, it's like, okay, how else could this have gone? Because like even with, you know, them having alternate endings, like it's clear it could have gone many, many different ways. And it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I I do agree. I I see your point. I see your point. And I do think it had been cool of his blu-ray i had had a bit more bonus features on the way they on the way it could have gone i'd have liked to see that footage see how it played out um but i i think this works really well i mean, I, I don't think you're saying that this this ending doesn't work i think we both agree this is no. a fantastic ending yeah, uh, it's I, a testament to the quality of the situation that like there's so many different outcomes that are possible yeah um, I, I think that I don't think that the ending with Somerset takes anything out of the gut punch of the movie either. I don't know about you. Oh no, no, no! I think it adds to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so yeah, anything else to add to Seven before we state our recommends and our final summary of the movie? Ernest Hemingway, only half right. Yeah, love that line. Love that line. Um, anyway, let's get into it. Patrick, do you recommend Seven and why? Yes, I recommend Seven. Um, of the Fincher movies that I've already seen, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think it's one of his best. Um, if you love... I mean, I don't know. You don't really have to love mystery movies to love this movie or like detective movies because I really don't. Like I've made, I've said that before, but for the new listeners, I really don't like this kind of movie in general. But this, it's not even about that in this movie. This movie is about so much more than that. And it's really just a vehicle for a story that is um, one of the best of American cinema in like its century, I would say. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. This is one of my favorite movies ever. I mean, top five. It is 
astounding to me. Just, I think this movie holds up 50, 25 years later um, really well, or 26 years later, um, really, really well. I mean, the acting, the performances, just fantastic. I mean, Pitt, Freeman, Spacey, three of the most legendary actors on screen together. It's just something you got to see. Um, John Doe, I think we see, Patrick and I see things a little differently on this character. Um, but I think that's just a testament to how great he is. I mean, whether we had different opinions on I think we both agree that that car scene is fantastic. The, the dissection of his motivations and seeing what he is like pays off, I think, really well. I think we can agree on that. For sure. Yeah, chill-inducing. Yeah. And I think the movie looks fantastic. It's some of the best directing I've ever seen. I mean, Fitcher's my favorite director, guys, and this is the movie that they only makes me believe that. I mean, we'll we'll rank all the Fincher's movies at the end with Mank, but I mean, I'm just gonna say this is number one for me. I mean, you know, I think Patrick, his motivations or his intentions throughout the series are gonna be a little bit more unclear. But this for me, this is the this is the one for me. This is fantastic. This is one of my favorite scripts of all time. I can't say this guy is my favorite writer. Uh, he's just not as consistent as Aaron Sorkin is. But you know, this is a fantastic script. I love it. I really just... Uh, it, I will continue to go back to this movie. It's disturbing on just a completely different level. And it's only Fincher could do what this movie does. Um, for me, this takes out... Any complaints you have about Alien 3 or anything like that? I mean, this, you know, this guy's a good director when you see this movie. I mean, how can you not? I, I, that just confounds me. If, if you can't, if you, whether you don't like the movie, I mean, you've got to see the brilliance here on screen. It, it's or, or just some good here. It's fantastic. It's a strong recommend. It's the strongest recommend I've given on the podcast. Yeah, there. That's the best movie we've talked about. <laughs> nice. Um. So yeah, I let's get to our five movies that we want to see soon, and then we'll talk about what's next for the podcast in our Finch retrospective. All right. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. So my number five here. This isn't any order. I want to see Network the most, guys. Um. Yeah, I I was really debating. Um. I was really debating whether to see Memento or Net or Network on um Sunday night. I I had I had to go Memento just as a Nolan fan, but Network is going to be the next hopefully the next movie I see the first movie I see in the weekend. Just um it's a render for me and I don't rent movies often. I go with the streaming and uh Memento is a rental that was kind of a special sacred moment. Um <laughs> but um yeah Network's next. I'm really excited to talk about it uh, with you, whether we just have a whole episode on it or just mention on what we've seen recently. Um, I also have The Tree of Life on here with uh, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, and Jessica Chastain. Um, really interested in seeing that movie. Stalker, still on here. Uh, I, I honestly just, I might drop this soon at some point. I'm still holding on to it. I just, yeah. it, it hasn't, it's, I really want to see because it, it looks visually interesting and really cool. And some of its ideas, I think, look interesting. Um, but we'll have to see 
if that if I see that recently. But anyway, um, Scarface starring Al Pacino. Really want to get get in a good Pacino performance, and uh, that my dad's been talking about this one a lot. So I'll mention that one. Really want to see that. And um, let me think. Shawshank Redemption, one that I have not seen yet, and really really want to. So one of the, probably the most highly rated movies that I haven't seen yet. So yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm gonna watch. Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, um, yeah. That's actually a rewatch, but I. It's one of those like really puzzling movies, and I'm really curious to like get into it again and see what they're really trying to say with it. Um, number two, I don't know how to say it. I'm not French. M- Emily, 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 Emile of Ease. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Same director as, uh, you know, it's uh, Juno and Mark Caro. So, yeah. Or it's one of them. I don't remember which one. Yeah, Jean Pereira. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of that guy, he directed the next Alien movie. No way. Yeah. Alien. Uh, Alien Resurrection. Resurrection? Yeah. Yeah, the lowest rated Alien movie. So, um. Crazy. Yeah. Dude, maybe it's secretly great. Didn't you say it has fans? <laughs> no. I said yeah, alien. No, I said Prometheus had fans. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next movie uh, is In and of Itself, which is like a. I don't know why I put this on here. I came across it randomly. <laughs> it's like a magic show that's like supposed to be really profound. Okay, uh, I don't just go with me on that one. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> American Utopia. Uh, David Byrne. Um, has a new musical out somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to find it. It's on some streaming service, I think. HBO um, Max. Sweet. I'll have to figure that out somehow. Um, mm. and then, It's worth it, I have to say. Cancer HBO subscription and get HBO Max. It's worth it. Okay. Um, have you seen uh, American Utopia? I know you watched um, Stop Making Sense. I did, I did. I watched American Utopia. It's really fun. So it's um if you like Stop Making Sense, you're gonna like this. Just very pure, just kind of happiness, you know. David Burns a really just a fun presence to to watch, you know, and yeah, that's a really on on display here. It's one of the most it's one of the best shot live performances I've seen, uh, with Spike Lee at the helm, you know. It looks fantastic. The music's fine. I, I, yeah, I think you'll like it. If you like the Stop Making Sense. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. So excited yeah. about that one. And um, I'm also watching How's Moving Castle um, on your recommendation because it's the greatest anime movie of all time, you said. so. Anime, not animated. Yeah, I said anime. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and yeah, that's my five. Yeah, awesome. Um, so... Now, up next to Fincher, I believe we have the game, right? Um, yeah. It's a so, good one. spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how oh, good I'll is it though? See. Oh, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, this is one of the more controversial. Um, I think one of the more controversial Fincher ones, kind of in the panic room, mank area. Um, 
Alien, Alien uh, 3, of course, we can't forget about that. One of his more controversial ones. I've seen it, though. Um, I won't see what I think about it, but um, I'm definitely excited to talk about that one with, me, with, that one with you. I think we got a great conversation out of seven. I think we gotta, oh, yeah. we're going to get a great conversation about the game. After the game, though, it's Fight Club. Yeah, that's the one I'm excited about. I, <laughs> skip, can we just skip the game, please? Let's talk about Fight Club. That's what I want to talk about. But anyway, we have we'll to. Consistency is is the name here. Um, but that's not the next movie we're talking about, Patrick. Mm, we need something a little more fiery first. Perhaps heat. Ooh. What you need? Yes, that is right, ladies and gentlemen. February the sixth. I'm going to talk about Heat. Um, boy, am I excited. Um, I have been quoting that movie like crazy. Uh, <laughs> all those Pacino lines, I have just, they're, they're, they're embedded here. Mm. I, I am really excited to talk about this movie. I'm really thinking on this rewatch, it's going to jump up, jump up on my favorites list. It's already in my top 10. I feel like Jump up a little more. This is the ultimate test for Heat on how great of a rewatchable it is. Um, yeah, I'm really curious about this one. I watched it a bunch like two years ago. I watched it like 10 times in the year and I watched yeah. it with my mom a bunch. She loved it. We watched it together all the time. Um, so, But I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm really excited to watch it again. Yeah, here's what I have to say, people. You're going to hear me imitate Al Pacino. A, a lot. whole lot in <laughs> that episode. I am serious. Like, I'm excited to show off my probably really bad Al Pacino invitation, but <laughs> I am going to do it. I may not be no Bill Hader or Alec Baldwin, but I can do it. I'm going to do it, guys. I'm, gonna, I'm going to do just every scene. Like, when we get to the scene where he's talking with that, um, with that, uh, that guy who gets, he gets some information there, and he's, he goes, Give me the gut! You know, just there's a, gonna be a lot of that happening there. A lot yeah. of that. So there's a little taste for you. That was pretty bad. I've done better though. I've done better. Yeah, so. definitely. Dude, you gotta pull out your Marlon Brando at some time. <laughs> I want to practice a little bit on that one. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done Brando in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did that one time, man. I had to take out a lot of cotton ball fuzz out of my braces after doing that. <laughs> that was Use not cotton great. candy. <laughs> so anyway, February the 6th, our episode for Heat's going to come into drop. Um, very excited to talk about it. I'm excited to talk about it with you. That's going to be a really great movie to talk about, whether we end up liking it on rewatch or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm, gonna, I'm still going to like it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Wait a um, minute. So this next... movie is terrible. <laughs> What was I thinking? Anyway, <laughs> um, Patrick is off the grid, incognito. Um, like I said, he's John Doe. No records of him anywhere. You Again, can't find him. Comparison. I don't know how to <laughs> that. I don't like it at all. Please. <laughs> uh, he's off the grid. He is. He is from some Liam Neeson action movie. <laughs> I'm sure Liam Neeson's gone off the grid at some point, so I'm just going to use that term. <laughs> um, anyway, you can find me over at Letterboxd. My handle is No Nukem. You can also find me at my blog, the No Nukem Hub. We hope you continue 
with us through our Fincher retrospective and check out our Heat episode and listen to some of our previous episodes as well. Uh, I want to get once again, I want to recommend Alien 3F. I'm really proud of how that episode turned out. I think we really got some, we had some fun moments there. I think there's some fun moments here. Uh, yeah. You may not have enjoyed my John Doe comparison, Patrick, but I have had a blast. I'm so um, glad. I'm glad that you enjoyed <laughs> it. At least it had a benefit. All right, we'll be back with Heat. Hopefully, I'll have talked. I'll have seen Network uh, by that point. Um, hopefully, or or uh, Patrick's probably going to kill me. So, um, <laughs> no. not that's not even a John Doe comparison. I just think Patrick's just going to strangle me through our Zoom chat. How is that chat. not a John Doe comparison? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, to end on a really high note. <laughs>